On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're trying on the rings of power for Amazon's epic new Lord of the Rings series, going all Richard Gere with John Berntal and Paramount Plus's adaptation of American Gigolo, and stepping into the ring with Travante Rhodes in Tyson's series Mike on Disney+. Plus. Plus, we have not one, not two, not three, but four guests on the show this week. Galadriel herself, Morphid Clark, is with us. Plus, we have Travante Rhodes, Russell Hornsby, and Laura Harrier joining us to talk all things Mike. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast. No, I'm James Dyer, or at least a slightly more audible one. You will notice from that that I sound a lot like I'm in a submersible underwater, buried below about 50 feet of concrete. Uh, This is because, as you're about to hear, I recorded this week's show while on holiday in Universal Studios, Florida, from my hotel room where I lovingly packed my microphone and my headphones, got it all set up and ready to go. But there was one minor hitch, and that hitch was I couldn't hear my own audio because I was recording it through an iPad. So I foolishly trusted Boyd and Kay to tell me if I sounded okay, to which they responded, yeah, you sound fine. Listeners, I did not sound fine. Uh, Unfortunately, while I was using the microphone, it turns out my AirPods were the ones recording the audio. So all of this week's show, unfortunately, has me coming through AirPod audio and it does not sound great. Uh, We've done our best to clean it up a little bit, so it should be audible, but I do sound quite tinny and submerged all the way through this one. So I hope you can put up with it. But here is me underwater. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters and an episode coming to you from Universal Studios, Florida, where I am currently on holiday, taking a leaf out of Boyd's book, though. I have packed my trusty microphone and after that, let's be honest, an hour of faffing about to trying to get it to Horrendous. work. Horrendous. <laughs> I am here, yes, by the marvel of slightly patchy Wi-Fi. Uh, however, that is not the reason the podcast is a day late, uh, but rather due to some inconvenient embargoes. Still, still, holidays aside, I am nonetheless joined by my two co-hosts uh, from his Tower of Terror in central London, a flat built around and designed for the sole purpose of housing his ludicrous 75-inch TV. It is Baron Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? Very well, thank you. 78-inch. 78-inch. 78 inches? <laughs> that can't yeah. be true. It's it a yeah. number. Absolutely. 78 well, inches. It just is it's the correct number. Yeah, of inches, yeah. I'm very well, thank you. I'm a bit hot because I'm wearing this fucking hoodie that you haven't even noticed yet, purely for your benefit. <laughs> I hadn't noticed it. We've been faffing around yeah. to the microphone for so long. I hadn't noticed Boyd is wearing I mean, a C-branded hoodie. A C-branded hoodie. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredible things, Boyd. You got sent this as part of the C-care package, didn't you? I've got a C-care package from the lovely people at, at Apple TV+, Plus, including this quite hot but, but nice hoodie. <laughs> Um, a, a kind of like a furry like towel thing. I don't know if it's a rug or a towel or what. I guess it's a rug. Um, do they have lots of furry rugs on sea? Well, no, it's more likely they wear a lot of furs. So is it like a right, fur that guess, you're supposed yeah. to wear? Yeah, I guess it's a fake fur that I'm supposed to wear. You, you can have that if they don't send you one. I'm sure they'll send you one as well. And like a, a flask kind of thing, a, sea, a kind of branded flask thing, which is, yeah. Nice. So, yeah. Um, mm. They didn't send you yeah. some kind of masturbatory aid to contact the Godflame. <laughs> I mean... Please God, like a flashlight or something. God. I don't know. A sea branded flashlight. James, stop! It's an image we don't need. Oh my God! Oh, this has gone yeah. off the rails already. Uh, you've heard yeah. it already. Uh, but joining us also from what I like to think is a kind of fortress amid the magma lakes of the molten planet of Mustafar. It is Darth K. Ribeiro. Uh, we're not going to start talking about flashlights again. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm. I'm hot. I'm a little bit hungry because we've. 
we've taken a long time to get going, haven't we, James? We have. And I've just got to tell you, dear listener, that actually part of that process was James breathing down the mic in a creepy way to test his levels, which I felt on my back of my neck. I felt through the through the screen. It was awful. Well, yeah, I did. It's true. I did have to breathe loudly into the microphone to make sure it was working because I can't hear myself at my end, which, let's be honest, is almost certainly for the best. Uh, but yes, now I am out in Florida. I'm here for uh, Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, which are tonight. I'm doing the Horror Houses tonight. We got a sneak preview of the Halloween one yesterday, which I have to say was, uh, was quite cool. It was quite scary. I got nearly stabbed by Michael Myers. That was nice. And um, we saw some pictures of you doing some karaoke, didn't we? <laughs> that may have yeah. been karaoke. Can we discuss that? Must be right. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You, I, I there's a picture. Just... There's a pic. Let's just let's just put it out there. There's a on, on James's Instagram. There's a picture of him on stage with a band. Yeah, belting out a song. Yeah, I mean it's only a video. It's only a still image. I, I, I presume there's video I footage do as have well. A video. I haven't put it up. No, I do uh, have I a mean, video. You know... what, what the actual fuck? What were you singing? Uh, I was singing at Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Um, oh, my God. And- it's too much. It's yeah. too much. James, the one thing that came across in that picture was how seriously you were taking it. Yeah. Right? The, way you were grip- the way you were gripping that mic. James doesn't do anything by in half measures. Yeah, I mean, we, right. we've, lo- we've all learned that. <laughs> he also, had the audience in the palm of his hands. Isn't that sort of like a kind of southern racist anthem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just make this absolutely clear. It is not a racist. That is definitely very southern, though. Uh, and okay. I am, of course, the oh, least southern God. man alive. And I may or may not have sung it in some kind of Alabama southern drawl, but we won't talk no, about that. Um, this is one oh of the many God. reasons why the video is oh not my there. God. But, but not only do you, you do it with a live band, you have backing singers and dancers as well. So I had oh, backing no. singers slash dancers <laughs> while I was doing this We song. need to listen. <laughs> We need to see the video. You have to put it on the pilot no, uh, no, Instagram no, no, and no Twitter. That. No. I think we, t- I think we take it to a vote. I think if you want to see this video, then get in touch with us. And James is committed to putting it up. We get enough likes. All right, all right. Here's here's what I will do. Here's what I do. So, so the picture is up on my story. So by the time this goes up, the picture will no longer be there. I no. will, I will, I will. <laughs> I will promise to put the video of me singing. I'm only putting it on my stories though, so it'll only be there for 24 hours. It's a time limited. Wow. I will put it up in a limited capacity if enough people request. And let's be honest, follow me on Instagram because I don't have that many followers. And actually, this might help, but <laughs> or not. Blatant, blatant exploitation. <laughs> but fair enough. I mean, that is a big. Honestly, uh, if I'd if I'd have been in that position, I would never allow that footage to get out anywhere. I mean, it's like the Zapruder footage for me. You you singing "Sweet Home Alabama" that is distressing. That is really distressing. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. And I can't emphasize this enough. With backing dancers and singers. Backing dancers. Dancers. Yes. Oh, did you rehearse? Did you rehearse with them? We have a whole routine. Are you? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like like um, what's his name on Ridley? Are you going to have an album out? Oh, the end of no. the year. <laughs> I might do. I can't. I can't James can't, can't rule it out. Listen, oh did, wait. I know you had backing dancers, but did you actually dance? Because oh, I think man. that's a step too far for me. No, no, what I did was, of course, the white man shuffle. Uh, so I wouldn't definitely, oh, definitely wouldn't call that oh. dancing. But uh, look, hey, hey, if you wish to witness it firsthand, then all you need to do is get yourself and thirty thousand other friends to follow me on social media. I'll put it oh up. lord, okay. okay. You, I'm going to make this more, happen. One more question: did, Was that your choice to do Sweet Home Alabama? And if so, why? Why? Did- well, okay. So, so it's an American. So basically, this is there's a place called City Walk in Universal Studios, and uh, there is a bar there called Rising Star. It's like it is a live two tier. There's balcony and everything. So it's rammed bar, <laughs> and you do live band assisted karaoke with backing singers slash dancers. Who, if you 
or not up to it can carry you if you absolutely need it. Um, and and I did that. But the reason I did that one is obviously I don't. I'm not, as you may know, down with the kids. I don't necessarily have the four one one on all the popular musical acts. So there's a limited number of things there that I can do. So because it's a live band and it's not like a they only have a certain number of songs. And that was the one I identified that I thought I maybe had the range to just about pull off. And I need the range, darling, yeah. you don't have the range. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I'm going to be on The Voice, but... Were there as many people in the bar after while you were singing as before? Funny enough, the place shut down 15 minutes after I did it. I don't know if the two things were related. It could have just been that it was past midnight. I don't know. Yeah, that's no quinky dink. I might have played Were you on your... By the way, one... I said I'll find a question. I have another question. Were you... Are you this thing on your own, like representing Empire or whatever? There's no other... There were no other... Yeah, I just walked into this bar solo, climbed up onto the stage, <laughs> said, "Give me Leonard Skinner." No, I didn't. I am, I am here as part of a group, uh, and they were all very. James okay. was our James was our UK entry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a group, and yeah. them. they performed a kind of an impromptu mosh pit at the front for me, so that I felt loved. Oh god! <laughs> oh my god! So if I you see, see this in the video. picture, if you could see hands, as if I've got like, like an audience of crowds, people dancing in front. They're the people I went with, and they felt sorry for me. So, right. Okay. Uh, so oh there you go. lord! But no, I'm, I'm I'm having fun out here. There have been roller coasters. I went on the the Jurassic World Velocicoaster, uh, which is very very good. So I enjoyed that. So yeah, I've been I've been having some fun. I had butter beer for breakfast yesterday. I don't recommend that. Uh, but butter you know, beer. Yeah, it's like it's like it's basically sugar in liquid form. It's quite it's a Harry it's a Harry Potter thing, Kate. Kate's such a non nerd that she doesn't even know Harry Potter references, even though it's the most mainstream <laughs> thing in the world ever. <laughs> You know, I like to avoid anything that's deeply popular. Yeah, do you know, yeah. I learned I learned a thing. I learned a thing. This was not me trying to do it, but they sell uh, the the Harry Potter area of Universal. They sell Butterbeer, which is just like uh, sort of incredibly sweet buttery drink, and you can get it in frozen or regular soft drink varieties. But they also sell fire whiskey, which is literally like a whiskey type spirit thing. And one of the hacks that people do when they come here is they pour the fire whiskey into the butterbeer uh, to have an alcoholic butterbeer. But apparently, if anyone who works in the park sees you do it, they confiscate the butterbeer because you're allowed to buy them separately, (gasps) but you're not allowed to mix the Mm. drinks. So mixing oh, yeah. your own potions. That's like when I'm at Arsenal sometimes I mix the uh, the log of the Camden House log with a little bit of seven up, yeah. Same. You should not allowed really? to take your act- You do you know what, you crazy cats. You <laughs> know oh, how yeah. to live. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not allowed to take alcohol drinks out onto the seat with you to watch the uh, game. that's okay. it. And they want to be able to monitor yeah. where the alcohol is, mm. that must be it. Yeah. yeah. They will confiscate Yeah. I assumed it was because it would turn into polyjuice potion or something, but clearly that's the reason. Uh, no. Not that I was trying to do any of this, but 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 crucially, crucially, we should segue from my musical antics onto what we've been watching this week. I have not listened to last week's podcast because, frankly, I'm still traumatised after 200. So I don't know what you've been watching. Um, I'm going to mention uh, a couple of things. One is that uh, Surface, you remember Surface that we reviewed with mm, the Google yes. Bath, the Raw... Oliver Jackson came. That actually finished on Friday. Friday just gone. Um, and so I can now say, because remember, I, I reviewed, I watched the whole thing pretty much in one go m- months ago, but I had to dance around the fact that, that oh, haven't you finished no. it yet? Okay. Uh, no. Okay. I'm not going to oh, spoil go it. Fine, oh, no, I'm just going to say that it kind of goes off into a whole new world, basically, <laughs> at the end, queuing up basically another season. Clearly, there's going to be another season. There has to be another season. Cause I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. Sorry, I won't. I won't. I won't spoil anything else. Um, so a reminder that that joy, the the, the ludicrous joys of surface, are there to 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 be enjoyed. I'm going to mention Mo, which is a uh, comedy show on um, Netflix, which arrived a few weeks ago. Which I didn't have much of a fanfare, and we didn't review it. But it is one of, uh, to my mind, it's one of the only. 
uh, scripted TV shows in recent history that is about a Palestinian character. Um, the main character, Mo Amma, uh, he plays a guy who came to America like 20 decades ago and is still waiting. <laughs> He's an illegal alien officially. He's still waiting for his refugee status and his citizenship application to be processed two decades after first arriving there as a kid, basically. And um, so he's a Palestinian-American refugee, but it's a, it's, a, it's not really about that. He just happens to be Palestinian. Um, you know, they, it kind of depicts a little bit what that means culturally. culturally. Um, but his girlfriend um, isn't a Palestinian, and there's kind of old... It, it's, just a bit, it's just funny, engaging, very well done. It's co-created with Rami Youssef, and Rami has his own show, um, which I've mentioned a couple of times, which was on Channel 4. I think it's on Channel 4 at the moment, actually, um, and was also on Stars Play. So Rami co-created it with this guy, Mo Amma, and Rami uh, himself is a Middle Eastern guy, but this is definitely, this foregrounds the Palestinian-American experience without sounding too pompous. It's just about a Palestinian-American character, and there are none of those on TV ever. So it's very uh, impressive from that point of view, and it's a really good show in its own right. <laughs> but the show that all the hipsters are talking about which we have to discuss is the rehearsal, oh, which is yeah. yes, We've which had some is tweets on about Skype. This, haven't we? Yeah, we yeah, have. I had a lot. It. Yeah, so I had a lot of tweets about it. Um, it is. It's um, from Nathan Fielder, whose previous series was Nathan for You on Comedy Central, and um, he his whole shtick is that his persona of Nathan. Which is kind of based, which is clearly based on himself, quite a kind of awkward, socially awkward um, comedian, deals with members of the public. And he, and he kind of, in, in Nathan For You, he, um, he helped members of the public with their small businesses and stuff and came up with ideas to boost their, to kind of create successful business for them. And that was, went on for quite a few seasons. This is the first series of The Rehearsal, which is an HBO production on HBO Max in um, in uh, uh, America. And it's got a much bigger budget. And the, and the concept is, it's such a bizarre show. The concept is that Nathan, he put an ad out somewhere in, in a paper or something, asking if ordinary people had difficult conversations or life events they wanted to deal with. And they wanted to have a chance to rehearse how they would approach these difficult moments in their life. And he helps them rehearse these things. So the first episode, for example, there's a guy who's in a in a in a kind of quiz team, a quite high powered quiz team, and he lied to the to the fellow members of the team a while ago that he had a doctorate when he only had you know like a masters or something like that. Basically, he exaggerated no, his academic absolute yeah. thicko. Right. So he exaggerated <laughs> his academic credentials, and in this in that first episode, Nathan. So they meet in a bar, you know, and he explains the whole thing. And the, and the bar is where the, the trivia team obviously gathers. So Nathan goes to the trouble of getting his getting the pe produce, people who work on the show to recreate a life-size model of said bar <laughs> on a set so that they can go through, rehearse what this conversation is going to be when this guy comes clean about his lie, about his academic credentials. So that's one example. There's a long running from episode two almost. There's six episodes in total. There's a woman who wants to, who's in her early forties. She hasn't got children, and she and she hasn't got a partner, but she wants to. She thinks she wants to have a kid, and so in that one, it's all about Nathan A trying to help her find a partner, 
for her and B, hiring a series of kids from like a baby up to teenage years to kind of condense the experience of what it's like to be a mother and to give her, you know, like into that couple of weeks and to give her a chance to, to parent a child. But they're all played by like actors and models. It's insane. So all I'd say is it's an incredibly ambitious, bizarre, weird show. Nathan Filled himself is quite an acquired taste. He's 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 even more socially awkward and weird and quite judgmental about these normal real people who he's you know in quotes exploiting or using for the purposes of this weird comedy, barely comedy, high concept kind of reality mix. What I'd say is it's excruciating in terms of what what how wow. the people behave and what how he kind of puts them in these weird situations. James could not sit through more than five minutes of it. Yeah, I'm I don't think I now. could. It's I've got a challenge. Such a, yeah. I've got such a low cringe threshold. I think already when you're I telling think, me my, my well, toes were making, I was like, basically my feet were in claws. Yeah, if you have a low cringe threshold, it, it may not be the one for you. But it is an extraordinary thing to watch, I have to say. And it's kind of so bonkers and kind of excessive in a way. It's like one of the things about it, like, because he's got this HBO budget now, these recreations on sets of these places where people live and work and et cetera. It's so weird that it is really compulsive viewing. I find it really compulsive viewing. So um, the rehearsal, yeah, it's, it is it is one of the show that everyone's talking about. And in the States, it's like everyone's obsessed with it. All the crit TV critics are all like, this is a masterpiece, blah, 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 blah. So it's well worth checking out, that's all I'd say. Sky Comedy uh, now available as we speak noted mine's less cringe my, my the thing i've been watching i um have enjoyed immensely i can't talk too much about it because it's not out yet and you know a bbc sniper will take me out but am i being unreasonable um which is daisy may cooper's new comedy thriller which she has written with her best friend celine hasley um is coming out soon and all i will say is if you've been waiting to see what she would produce since this country, which she wrote with her brother, Charlie, then you are not going to be disappointed because it is very funny. Like, I won't say any more, but it is really funny. And I watched it. I watched the first episode twice because I was previewing it. And then I went to the screening because she was doing a Q&A. They were both doing a Q&A. And the thing I loved about the Q&A is for anyone who's hasn't been to them, usually, you know, you go there. Um, the channel bigwig, like the the Grand Fromage, will give some kind of spiel about the channel and love having the talent there and all that kind of stuff. And then we watch the screening and then we have the Q and A. And the star usually sits at the front. The reserve, you know, the front row reserved for them. What I love about this is Daisy uh, took uh, Celine up. They went sat at the back, the very back, furthest corner, like naughty school children of the auditorium, where they proceeded to every now and again, not annoyingly, like usually at the end of an episode, because we watched two episodes, shout out their feedback. Um, and we're just very funny. And I liked it because it's just Daisy all over. Like, she's very maverick um, and funny. And I think she probably just didn't want to be stared at by all, by all us annoying journalists. Um see how she was responding to it and she probably wanted to check out um if we liked it and i can tell you that in the auditorium there was a lot of laughter so i will mm -hmm. highly recommend that when it comes out it's been exec produced by jack thorne um and oh and i've just got to mention very quickly lenny rush is this child actor in it who plays her son a daisy son in it and i'm just telling you now he absolutely steals the show both on and off screen because he was hysterical at the q a it was just so he doesn't mean to be, but he's quite um, not sarcastic. He's just very quick-witted for a young child. And, um, yeah, he's a joy on the show. So, yeah. 
Okay, okay. Now that's noted, 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 noted. When that comes out, I'm sure we will talk about that more. Um, what have I been watching? Well, okay, so obviously I've had some downtime since 200, where I've just been recovering in a cave somewhere, trying not to die after that event. Oh, hello. Okay, thanks. Bye. That was room service. Housekeeping. Room service. Housekeeping, that's a it. It was housekeeping. No, a lady caller. Mm. Yes, it was a lady caller. <laughs> She's probably like, what is he doing? Which is a fair question. Um, but There's uh, a man. She's going to go down to reception now. This is what's happening. She's like, there's a man in room 752 who's talking to himself and tapping on his fucking ear. And what should we do? I, I heard him earlier deep breathing into a microphone. It's all very sinister. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Mm. It's fair. Uh, but yes, so I've, I've been recuperating, as you know, and uh, I have watched a few things. So obviously I've been watching The Catcher, which you reviewed last <gasps> week. Uh, and by the time this goes out, I think episode four will have aired. Uh, and it's really good, isn't it? Isn't it good? Oh, mm. so good. So good. Yeah. Absolutely loving yeah. that. Absolutely loving that. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, slightly terrifying, if I'm honest with you, because it always feels like, mm. it feels oh, like yeah. it's, it's, just, it's just a tiny stone's throw away from where we basically are. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a little mm. bit distressing. Ever since I watched it, and I've become so um, like conscious of the CCTV everywhere. Yeah, and also yeah. very conscious of not committing crimes now. Yeah, well, that's you know, that's, that's, that's a good <laughs> place to be, I think, generally. Um, yeah, maybe. I watched a couple more episodes of From because I'm pushing on with From, and then and look, I know I famously have this incredibly long watch list, and there are things like For All Mankind, which I have not watched, and which I have promised that I would watch, and things like Barry, which now, I haven't really watched either. But here we go. You know, <laughs> but but he's... I got to America. I got to America, and I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what they've got that that I've been waiting to see in the UK. I wonder I wonder what, what stuff I could I could, you know, get a, get an advanced look at. And I was like, oh, you know, there was that bear show. That bear show is supposed to be amazing. Hasn't come to the UK yet, although we do now have a date for it and it is coming uh this month, isn't it? Like this month in a couple of weeks. Uh but so I thought, oh I could get like I'm a bear, I could watch bear. And then I was scrolling through and I found this channel called Freeform. Don't know what that is, but it's a channel called Freeform. And on it was the third and final season of Motherland Fort Salem. And I thought to myself, what oh. can I do with my time? What would be the best oh. use of my oh. time? Would it be to watch For All Mankind, the critically acclaimed show from uh, <laughs> Ronald D. Moore, or would it be to sit down and watch 10 episodes of Motherland Fort Salem? And I've got to tell you guys, the shouty witches won out. I did. I did it. I have now finished Motherland oh, Fort God. Salem. By the way, that channel sounds like the Sainsbury's own brand of gluten-free products, Freeform. <laughs> it might well be. They, they might be who fund it. Um, but I don't know where Fort Salem is in terms of UK broadcast because it's been, I think, it, I don't know when it finished over here, but it must have been a while ago. But uh, it, it, it still hasn't come to the UK, so obviously we will keep posting when it does. But um, the thing is, you know, if you were to say, James, James, so you, you spent 10 hours or something watching that, you know, was it good? To which I would answer, no, okay, it wasn't good. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? <laughs> um, I can't honestly say I really enjoyed it either. It wasn't a hate watch, but it was somewhere in between where like, I was like, well, I really enjoyed season one. I watched season two, and I kind of feel I needed to watch season three and find out what happened to the shouty witches and the witch bombs and the camera ear and the spree and all that. And so I now know. I signed out. Isn't it, first of all, isn't it just called um, Fort Salem, isn't it, here, because of the motherland it's, confusion I, yes i think it's just called yeah. fort salem in the uk fort salem, wanna, yeah it was on know, bbc like, three yeah, yeah, yeah that's right i could tell you freeform is fascinating freeform was founded originally as a religious channel an extension of televangelist pat robertson's christian broadcasting network really? but the weird thing is yeah it, then it's now owned by disney 
Um, and they, originally it was the ABC Family Channel. Then they rebranded it as Freeform. And now, because that show's quite raunchy, isn't it? Um, and also, State it's now. got witches. Well, the only reason that you're saying it's raunchy is that there was some very aggressive fingering in the first episode, which I remember Terry latched onto that in the first in our review I of the mean, first one. She was obsessed okay, with this fine. one scene. So listen, yeah, we've but- start, we started the podcast with him deep breathing. Now we've got him talking about fingering. What is, happen- what is American James all about? Like- I, like, I like the fact that James thinks mere, a mere scene of fingering isn't enough to not have it family-friendly, a family-friendly channel. He oh, can we that, all stop oh, yeah. saying fingering? I can't that's that's fine. hear it. I was. You said it was raunchy. I'm just saying that's pretty much where the raunch began and ended. Like it's not mm. like there were. Massive- I think there were scenes of scenes of uh, intimacy guys, as well. Guys, I want to rip my ears off. Stop talking about that. All right, <laughs> no more fingering, right. please. But what I'm saying oh, is, yeah. there wasn't an awful lot of, of, of sexy times in in the final season. It was mainly sort of like okay. you know, uh, okay. fascist, racist, anti-witch people trying to kill them all. You know, and I see. there's a lot of the cutting out people's the- vocal cords. Like there's there's some gory oh. stuff in it, definitely. But, yeah, uh, also not yeah. family either. No. Oh, by <laughs> no. the way, the bear, which you mentioned, is, is arriving 5th of October. Oh, it's 5th of October. Okay, yeah. fine. Okay, so yeah, it's quite soon. October. At least we have a date. Well, we don't yeah. with the facts. facts. That's it. Bring Just in the facts. facts. Bring in the facts about the Evangelical Witch channel that I've been watching. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Okay. Well, at that point in the show, I think it's probably time to have this week's guest because we do have a number of them here this week. Uh, and our first guest this week is Morphid Clark. Now, she starred, obviously, in a number of films and TV shows uh, from The Alienist to Patrick Melrose, The City and the City. Uh, but I would say she became uh, a fixture on most people's radars with her rather chilling performance, not to mention footwear choices in 2019 Horror St. Maud. Uh, and this week, she is immortal elven warrior Galadriel. Uh, in Amazon's Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Uh, Tolkien megafan Helen O'Hara popped along to talk to her earlier this week, and this is what happened. How was last night? How was the premiere? Oh, it was really exciting. Um, Quite a lot of the cast is from Britain, so um, this was the first time that quite a few of the cast had their like friends and families in, and that's been a really exciting part of the tour, is finally, after two years of working together, uh, like along this press tour, we've met... The people who everyone was missing. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was really special. That's awesome. I mean, because you were basically quarantined in New Zealand for a really long time. I think I did a Zoom with you at one yeah. point for Saint Maud, and which is very surreal. You had just the been there of the for night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So um, we all originally went out there thinking it was going to be about ten months, and then it ended up being, for me anyway, twenty-two months. So it was. Um, it was. I was already knew it was going to be quite a particular experience, and it was even more so. <laughs> But does that kind of, I don't know, maybe not isolation is probably not the right word, but being out of your place probably actually in the end adds to to Galadriel, who is out of place for most of what I've seen so far, at least of the show. Yeah, I think whatever you're going through, whatever character you're playing, there will end up being a certain amount of influence. I I just got very soppy about kind of um, loving everyone. Just because we think when you're separated, you realise how important people are to you. And then also because I was being basically welcomed into a different place, I was also felt very loved from that direction. And I was like, um, there's that quote, what is it, the Van Gogh one, where it's something like, there's nothing, oh, I can't remember it, but it's basically about like, to be an artist, you have to love people. And so when I was feeling very homesick, I was like, maybe this will help me be artistic. It's just because I love them. Well, I mean, from what I've seen, it totally did. It's, it's really good. So what's your what's your history with Lord of the Rings? Had you read the books? Were the, were the movies your way into it? You know, yeah. had you read the appendices before this? So I'd, my dad read The Hobbit to me when I was nine. And then I watched the films and then read the books. But no, I hadn't gone 
back pre-Hobbit at all. Um, so that was really exciting and quite daunting um, because um, Silmarillion, the appendices, and they're, they're much more dense. Um, I actually used had to have not an amazing reader, so I would have the audiobook and the book in front of me, and that was kind of the way I found it would go in. Um, and then just like listen to lots of podcasts, watch lots of TikToks about it. Yeah. <laughs> Social media helping for once. Very much. I'm <laughs> honestly, as a dyslexic, because sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, what if I was like just a woman in like the 1870s and like the only thing to do was read? Can't really do that. You'd it's have so to hire boring. somebody. Hire somebody to read it to you at all times <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, how was it kind of sinking your teeth into the lore? Because Galadriel, mm. even when we meet her, this much younger, much kind of Fireier, I think it's fair yeah. to say Galadriel is still like a thousand years old or something. So, yeah. you know, how do you kind of get into that? Yeah, it was that was a bit that I was just really kind of concerned about like striking the right type of chord because she's not young, even though she's much younger than we know her. Um and I kind of through reading through kind of the Silmarillion, the Unfinished Tales and the Appendices, um, I was trying to find like whether an elf can be naive. And I was like, they probably can't. You can't be many thousand years old and be naive. And it seemed that any aspect of naivety in an elf would be arrogance. And that was kind of a nice kind of click moment to me, that that's how her youth, so-called, um, that's where it would lie. Um, and also... Um, Gladwell speaks about like with wisdom, there's a loss of innocence. Um, and so thinking about third aid Gladriel, looking back at second aid Gladriel, thinking, oh, yeah, I was more innocent then also helped me with that. But me, Rob, Ben, all the elves, just like obviously just talking about immortality obsessively. I don't know how good that's been for like our brains. But <laughs> What's your opinion on it, good or bad? You know, a bit of both. Um, wouldn't want to live forever, but I'd like to like know everything that's going to happen more, but not necessarily be part of it. But just be like, oh, okay, and that and that. Mm. Yeah, it was the elves are just there, just for yeah. all of it. But been through some yeah really gnarly bits even before this show began, yes. essentially. And and we learn a bit more about Galadriel's background and her brother mm -hmm. and the, the kind of losses she's already been through. Yes, yeah, so that was another thing as well in the. Um, we spoke a bit, all of, all of the elves, about how, like, the immortality was meant for Valinor, not for Middle-earth. So they're kind of people out of place, um, longing for where they belong. Um, and, yeah, one of the things that Gladwell's longing for is um, she's lost, actually, many brothers. But in particular, who we're focusing on here is Finrod, um, who was killed um, horribly. Her her grief is being hidden by her mission, but at the heart of it, even though she's an elf, magical, she's just missing her brother. Yeah, yeah, very much. I think that immediately comes through. What was also interesting to me is um, the elves are a bit almost imperialistic yes. in Middle Earth. They are kind of uh, an occupying force to at least some of the humans mm. there, which is a not something we've really kind of dealt with before. Kind of real world echoes in Middle Earth to mm. this degree. Yeah, and I think it's quite interesting that, you know, the elves, um, particularly Alrond and Gilgalad, are talking about how wonderful this time of peace is. And I really like that then we see the Southlands and all the people of the Southlands are living in quite desperate circumstances. Um, 
No, it's really interesting. I mean, Tolkien always said that he didn't he didn't like allegories, um, but you can't help but do, like I'm I'm mad for that. I always do that. <laughs> so yeah, I find that really interesting. Um, and so there's a kind of a, there's a, a toxic piece in Middle Earth at this time. So tell me about, um, you know, were you on location mostly? Were you shooting on stage? Was it a bit both? Because you were, I mean, you were cold, you were wet for long periods. It looked very uncomfortable mm. to shoot these first couple of episodes. <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, I was quite lucky in that I got a bit of everything, which um, I really liked because they all have their own particular, they're all very interesting for different reasons. Um, and yeah, I was in the water for a lot of it. And I, when I knew, I heard I was going to be in the water, I just had these like, behind the scenes um, images of Kate Winsett talking about how absolutely freezing it was. I was like, oh no, because we were on there for like a few months. But it was very warm. It was heated. Nice. And um, I'm so grateful for that. Um, yeah, and I got a mixture of, we did some green screen, but the green screen I did um, was kind of with expanses of water or expanses of snow. So even you kind of still felt like there was, it was practical. Mm. Um, and then I was walked around Numenor a lot, which is, they built a whole city. You know, that's the kind of like Lord of the Rings sets that I'd like been fascinated by as a child. And then, yeah, at one point got to fly up to a mountain that I was like, I wonder how many people have actually been at this particular peak. So it was, it feels like, um, I think the whole cast we've had, um, once in a lifetime experience after once in a lifetime experience consistently for a few years, and it's it's mind boggling. That's amazing. Um, a, a very quick question on on language. I mean, I, f- I feel like Welsh was actually a an yes, influence for Tolkien and in, in Elvish. So did that help you with pronunciation and things? Well, I when my dad read The Hobbit to me, my mum who is Welsh was very keen and told me many times that Tolkien was inspired by Welsh, and I was so proud of that. Um, I think there's a lot more kind of good stuff about Welsh, the Welsh language out there now, but um, it has been mocked quite a lot. Um, and so I kind of, yeah, I just loved that and have loved his world kind of partly because of that. Yeah, to be able to explore a bilingual character in a world where language is so important, um, I kind of fell back in love with the fact that I, not back in love, but really appreciated the fact that I was bilingual and we spoke a lot about kind of with Leith about where's her heart language where's her mind language where's her rage um and just also that the probably the depth and breadth of emotion that she could speak of in Elvish can't be achieved in English so even though she's obviously completely fluent in English there's moments where there are people she just can't get across exactly the depth of her feeling Mm. And that depth of feeling is uh, like like you've talked about already, so much closer to the surface here mm. than it was before. And uh, she is, I mean, one of my colleagues described her as a sort of elf Jack Reacher rather than <laughs> a sort of you know the forest maiden in the pretty yeah. dress. Um, th- there is an element of that here. So was it fun kind of getting into action, Galadriel? Yeah, so much. And I've been really envious, like uh, that. I've I've been on jobs often where afraid to say it but like lots of guys learn how to sword fight and ride but I didn't and to be able to do that has just been incredible I mean you almost don't want to start filming you just want the like like boot camp element to just be it forever because it you I, I felt like I had a second childhood that's awesome what's what are you what's your favorite now my favorite of them it is the riding I mean 
it is the closest to like magic I think I've ever felt. And I'd never ridden before, so I never thought I would. Um, yeah, so that was just glorious. That's amazing. So tell me about, you know, th- this is coming into a very different world than the films did, for example. You know, this yeah. is a world where a lot of people have probably spent more time watching Game of Thrones than they have watching Lord of the Rings or anything similar. Yeah. So, you know, how do you think this is going to hit with people? How do you, what do you think, you know, is going to make this one sort of stand out, really, from that? I think what I've loved about the books and the films is um, they're so sincere. Um, and I think in a way that could be a bit of a tonic to kind of what lots of us might be feeling just in the world. People are unashamed to express um, themselves deeply and emotionally. Um, and yeah, and it's a very magical world. Um, and I hope it's kind of a source of great comfort to people as it's been for me, to me many times. Mm-hmm. Me too. I've been reading the books since I was like seven. And yeah. I've always felt that way about them. So, I mean, do you, do, have they told you anything about the plan? I'm not asking for spoilers, <laughs> obviously, but you know, we know for one, yeah. Galadriel survives. Now, yes. she may go off and disappear and never, yeah. you know, never come back for another season, but we know she survives. So, did you sort of ask ahead and go, you know, what's, what's your plan here? What are you looking at? What are you thinking of? Um, I knew that. Mm, I don't know what I'm, I'm having a confidentiality panic here. Um, but I knew that she would transform hugely because we know who she ends up to be. And I kind of was looking at it a bit like um, there's actually a Muna song that describes it like much better than I was clinically describing it to myself. But I feel at this point, she's wearing her grief like a choker. And at some point, she'll be wearing it kind of like a loose garment. Okay. Type of thing. Yeah. So there's gonna, she's going to be released certain things a little yeah so there's there's room for progress and there's room yeah. for a little bit of that serenity maybe to creep in yeah yeah which would be really interesting to explore and, and i'm curious i mean did you go back and watch you know kate blanchett in the role or did you kind yeah. of i mean it's already kind of probably imprinted on your brain well like it is it, on mine but yeah. you know did you want to kind of keep away from it otherwise um no it is so imprinted on my brain i've watched those films so many times um and actually no we all um when we arrived there's like horrible to hear, but like the films came out 20 years ago and there were members of the cast who weren't born when they came out. And so we went to, um, we went to an all day screening of all three films um, with actually some of the crew who were involved in, in the films. So no, I was straight back in there. Yeah. And it's kind of still everywhere in New Zealand, right? It's still sort of. Yeah. It's funnily everywhere in New Zealand, but also there's like such um, people are very nonchalant about it, um, which was quite funny. Um, because I guess it's been Middle Earth there for such a long time um, that you'd say, oh, I'm in Lord of the Rings. You'd be like, oh, yeah. It'd be a bit like, I'm in Lord of the Rings. Who isn't? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it was becoming part of like a big history now of Middle Earth there, which was great. And so when do you go back? Have you, do you, know, have you scheduled? To- well, we won't be going back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. We'll now be filming in the UK, um, which is going to be a huge shift. Um, actually, the New Zealand crew have just been watching the first two episodes right now, and um, there's a big pang of wanting to be there. Um, and yeah, um, as an actor, you're not kind of involved with any of those decisions. Um, I think I'm excited to kind of work with the British crew and be in the UK, but my time in New Zealand or the people I worked with there like have just forever changed me and will influence not just this, but kind of all the jobs I do. That's lovely. Well, well, at least you'll be closer to home now. So, I think, yes, you know, I guess and 
Wales is New Zealand not on steroids, so maybe we'll get some film there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Okay, well, that was Morphe Clark. Now, we're going to skip a listener question this week for two primary reasons. One, I haven't thought of one or prepared for one, but also there's a lot going on and we're going to run out of time. And Kay is, as we speak, wasting away because she's late for lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so should we move straight into news? Hi, me again. Just wanted to jump in here because we skipped the listener question this week, which we have done a few times recently. And it occurred to me that one of our readers jumped on Apple Podcasts and left a review, three stars, not five, uh, and left a comment bemoaning a number of things, including the absence of Terry. We all understand Terry is great. But her main grievance seemed to have been that we skip this question an awful lot and we're losing a slight sense of community by constantly relegating uh, the listener question. So I thought, well, one of the reasons we do that, I think, is because I put out a shout out for them sometimes, but we get some in and a lot of them, I think, are things we've covered before or things that I don't think quite would work or certainly won't be something that I think we can draw out over the five or ten minutes that I think we'd like to do for that segment. So oftentimes, because we don't have one that I think will work brilliantly, and if we're running short on time anyway we do tend to lose it so okay so what i propose is a slightly different approach to this segment and let's have a kind of virtual audio post bag instead so i would say instead of having a the one question that you want us to answer and if you do have one do still send that what i would like you to do instead is send us either via twitter or via instagram dm uh send us your thoughts feelings like if you have something you wish to feed back on if you have a comment if you've got a just like just a thing you want to say let's say you watch an episode of something and you hated it chuck that in there anything you think fits within the realm of the show and what i'll do is each week i'll go through the most recent ones from that week and i will read out a few and we'll see where we go so that way we get our sense of community so ellie will be happy uh, and you'll get more of your input into the show without us necessarily having to find one where we'll need to spend 10 minutes discussing it uh, we do obviously value your feedback we do want to hear from you guys i like to hear from you guys on twitter as well but if you would like to hear more from listeners in the show then i think this is a decent way of doing it so please do send us your thoughts feelings questions comments uh whack them over to us as i say you can dm us on twitter our our dms are open or stick them to the empire instagram account i'm more likely to see them on twitter so i would very much recommend doing it that way uh but however you wish to do it do so and we will see how this goes next week and if it doesn't work at all then we will never speak of it again so what's been happening in the world of TV news while I've been on holiday? Well, um, uh, ha- a lot of House of the Dragon news. First of all, House of the Dragon was renewed for a second mm, season, which was a massive shock, obviously, to everyone involved. Could not believe <laughs> they're going to continue with the most successful launch in the history of HBO um, and, and a massive worldwide cultural phenomenon, and that they're going to continue with another season of that. But weirdly, um, just after they announced that, pretty much like the next day or the day after, um, it was revealed that the showrunner, the co-showrunner, Miguel Sapochnik, is leaving the show. Um, Why? Yeah, well, good question, Kay. Apparently, mm. it's nothing particularly um, to worry about. It's not a, like a create, big creative rift, so they say. Whoever knows in these things. He mm. he basically wants to do other stuff, seems to be the situation. He, he's got a deal with HBO to work on other shows that he can co-create. So, that, I mean, that makes sense. But I wonder, he is the guy, remember? I think when we reviewed it, I mentioned this. Miguel Sapochnik was the guy who, when he was asked 
you know, if there's going to be sexual violence in this series, as there was in the in in um, Game of Thrones, he said there isn't, but there is going to be a lot of tough stuff for women, and that's because it was very tough for women back when this was set, as if it was set in the real world and where where there were dragons. You know, this is a world where there are fucking flying dragons, and he's going, that's what it was like back then. But maybe, may, so maybe his departure is due to the fact that he gave a really stupid answer to that question in an interview. I but think. We'll give I the- think. For what it's worth, and I obviously know a lot about this, I think yeah. he's been given a gentle nudge towards that door. Uh, I, uh, that's rumour and hearsay and <laughs> speculation. Uh, those allegations no one can confirm or deny, but <laughs> he's definitely not going to be saying stupid stuff about House of the Dragon Season 2 because he won't be working on it, is the bottom line. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. And now um, his fellow co-showrunner, Ryan Condal, will be the sole yeah. showrunner for Season 2. But Alan Taylor's coming in to do some directing, isn't he? Obviously, That's Game of right. Thrones veteran yes. Alan Taylor. So, uh, But it was the biggest premiere in HBO history with under 10 million viewers tuning in across all platforms. Um, yeah, there you go. And you were right, crucially. We couldn't tell from the first episode because they didn't have a title sequence. But when the title oh, sequence yeah. dropped on, on episode two, you were right. They had, in fact, not even remotely bothered to try and find a new theme tune. And they just ripped no. the Game of Thrones one. And even the title sequence is horribly ripped off of the Game of Thrones yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. It is. Fair enough. I, I love the show. I absolutely love the show. But the, the laziness of not doing a new title sequence or a big new title sequence or, or, a, or a theme tune is Why a shocker. Bother? I just think just, just use the well, old clearly, ones. Well, clearly they agree with you. <laughs> clearly, Kate. Yeah, they agree. HBO, the HBO Save big ones agree guys. with you, Kate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's like, fair like, enough. The yeah. whole show had that kind of the whiff of, hey, guys, look at that thing you love. Here's more of the same. Like They were clearly very desperate to carry that across. But I just didn't give it its own identity. Like a new theme tune, Christ on a bite. Like, Better Call Saul doesn't have the Breaking Bad music, does it? It's like, come on. I think, I think viewers mm. are, are capable of making the connection that these two things are related. Uh, I don't think we need to have all exactly the same livery. Like, well, you know, could they have not just had like the, a, like a light motif running through where you have hints of the music, as opposed to just banging the entire yes. title sequence in there? Yes. I'm not, I'm not yes. wild about that. But no, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> they didn't ask much we, we, of no, they didn't. We're going to get to it later, but Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings has a has a th- ha- Lord of the Rings title music is by Howard Shaw. Did you notice that? And the whereas the all the rest of the music is by um, Bear McCreary, and I, I wondered about that. But anyway, we'll, we'll wait. That's a so, are you approving of this, or you're now disapproving um, of that as well? I think it's interesting. I don't know, and I because I'm not an expert enough. But Howard Shaw did the music to the original um, Lord of the Rings the films, films yeah. so I was wondering whether they it was basically a riff on a a a, 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 a music he'd already created for Lord of the Rings. So I, but I'm not an expert, so I don't know. At this point, we need well, basically James or Helen or someone to tell us. Well, Amon, I think, is probably more the sound of the, the Amon, school right. expert. Amon. But, uh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I must admit, I didn't even notice that. I knew Bear McCreary mm. was scoring the actual show, but I didn't. I do love Bear McCreary. Yeah, but, good um, fact, though. Yeah, I didn't, didn't know that it was uh, Shaw doing the main title. So interesting, interesting stuff. What uh, other news is there, Kay, that I emailed you this morning because oh. you didn't know what other news there was? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a shit. Okay, oh, look, anyway, yes, okay. How did you live on the podcast? Yeah, I know. First of all, he's slagging off the theme tunes of everything. Now he's slagging me off. Right, fine. Anyway, uh, yes, Boyd did send me this email because I didn't get it, slash deleted it. Um, ITV <laughs> have commissioned a new six-part crime thriller called Payback, Can't which wait. is produced by Jeb Mercurio's HTM Television and written by Debbie O'Malley. Um, and yeah, apparently it's a compelling character-led series uh, which follows Lexi Noble, played by Morven Christie, who's brilliant, um, and... Uh, Basically, she becomes entangled in a perilous police operation to topple a notorious crime lord called Cal Morris, played by 
Peter Mullen. Now, in brackets on this press release, he says it's from, he says Peter's from the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, the Underground, blah, blah, blah. They have crucially left out the fact that it is Michael from Mum, right? You know that I'm obsessed with Mum and I've been watching it over and over again. How can Michael from Mum be a baddie? I know he's an actor, but still, oh, like. He's played some terrifying baddies before. <gasps> no. Yeah, he's really good at doing baddies, oh, I have to say. He gives good baddies. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Wasn't he, in fact, in Westworld early on? I'm pretty sure. He was in Ozark, apparently. Playing, he was in Ozark, yeah. I'm pretty sure he played a really horrible character in um, Westworld. No, I don't want to hear about it. I, I basically, he'll always be Michael, lovely Michael from Mum. But yeah, apparently he's going to be playing a crime lord. So that's my first piece of news, um, shamelessly stolen from Boyd. The second bit of info, which I know will definitely appeal to James, is that BBC bosses have confirmed that the Osbournes are not only returning to the UK, but also to reality TV. So as you know, James, I'm sure you're a massive fan. They were some of the pioneers of reality TV, actually, weren't they? They're the ones. They're the ones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, so the head of documentaries at BBC has said that 20 years ago, the Osbournes left Britain for a life in LA, and now they're coming home to roost, back to their family home, pretty much as they left it all those years ago. So, yeah. So you can look forward to that, James, and set your Sky Planner. Um, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'm doing, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now as you speak. Doing it now. I think the only final thing for me to say is, and again to James, happy Kardashians month, my friend. <laughs> I don't because... even know what that means. I don't <laughs> yes, even you know do, what James. that means. We have Could discussed say, it. Because I'm going to derail Go this on. conversation right now and say this thing. So we were in, it was pre-karaoke. It was actually a couple of nights ago. I was in the bar with my group of fellow journalists there. And there was a reality TV conversation. And that it became a, a, a point of much fun and mockery how completely oblivious I am to these cultural events that have happened in history. And they, were, they, were, they were just giving the names of people that time when she did this thing. And it was a thing about Celebrity Big Brother. And what was it they were talking about? It was someone was on and then their wife came on as well. Like, no, hang on. Someone who was, was it David Bowie's oh my God. wife? Is this the thing? Oh, my God. Are you talking oh about? My God. No, that bit. Oh, my God. David's dead. James, That's that it. is David's such dead. a good clip. David's, David's dead. And I was, like, I was like, I don't even know who these people you're talking about. Obviously yeah, it was David a confusion Bowie, between David Bowie but... and David Guest. It was sensational. It's the one of the best bit of uh, TV ever. I'm going to send you the clip. You have to watch it. I'm not going to, but thank you. He won't. Uh, he but won't. No. But <sighs> they were discussing it and they were absolutely incredulous that I had, A, never seen it, but also just didn't even know anything about its existence. And I did point out, right. I said, well, I am familiar with the older award-winning micro wave thing, which Boyd, of course, has, has oh, put gosh. down in information. Okay, fine. Um, so that gave me some credibility. Don't these people, these people don't know you, James. I mean, you, you certainly like your little gang of fans who are watching you when you were singing Sweet Home Alabama, but they clearly have no idea what you're like. If this was a surprise to them, I mean, they really need to wake up and smell the James Dyer coffee. Well, listen, listen, back to my, my news that Kardashians, that the Kardashians is returning on 22nd September, James, and don't pretend I haven't said that to you before, because you promised, I'm pretty sure, to watch the first episode with me. Did I, though? Yes, I don't I think, think did. I did. I think I, it'll be a good social experiment I, for you. I, as ever, um, as ever. And, so I have extended this offer in the past to to Beth when she has brought it to her. I will watch this singular thing that you asked me to watch, but in exchange, okay, in exchange, I get to choose something for you to watch. 
Um, all I would say no, is I have yeah. just watched Lord of the Rings and you did force me to watch House of Dragons. So, you know, I think I've pretty much done a lot of your TV shows recently. So actually, no, I think what, we'll, what you'll find is next time we're in the office together, we'll be sitting down at lunchtime, you're providing the snacks and we're going to watch the full episode and I'll narrate through it and I'll explain who's who and um, yeah. And then we can give we feedback. Could just, we could just review the Kardashians that we can acceptance back. When, <gasps> Absolutely because not. I, it, it, it yes. is, it's a very, very well-produced, produced by my friend Ben Winston. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's a really good uh, example of a genre maybe we should have a look at just for, just for a change. Yeah. Oh, Although I'm so into it. When is it back? Have you got the date etched on your brain? Or, yeah, yes, it's the 22nd. It's, oh, there we go. Yeah, we've got time. You, you don't, for example, think that it's a symptom of, sort of modern societal decay, for example, or something like that. I don't know. No. Although, what's interesting, you mentioned the, the Osbournes. The Osbournes, it wouldn't exist without the Osbournes. The Osbournes was yeah. the real game the changer. And that, the OG, and it that MTV series, the original series looking at their lives, was phenomenally entertaining and, and brilliant. Kind Mostly because, I think it's different to the Kardashians, because Ozzy and Sharon, Sharon in particular, I mean, they're all, them and their kids were just spectacularly odd, eccentric personalities i one of the, my greatest uh, ever press trips was actually to la and i went to la to interview the osbournes for one of the series maybe two or three i guess and i'll never forget that this would be in my memoirs when um that we were doing i was staying at the now sadly defunct standard um in west hollywood the standard hotel and the interviews were being conducted in a suite in the in the same hotel with the osbournes and i was waiting my to get the to get the word from the publicist to go and interview them and i was having breakfast downstairs on the patio area and i was having a nice you know omelet or whatever and suddenly i heard a yell from above boyd get the fuck up here and it was sharon osborne <laughs> leaning over the, the railing shouting at me to you go kept, and do the interview you kept sharon osborne waiting you're a yeah. brave man i kept sharon osborne waiting and she told me to get the fuck up there and i did and i interviewed yeah. them um, uh, well okay yeah. so basically what i'm getting the conclusion of this is that jimbo is going to watch kardashians by hook or by crook and whether we review it on the podcast or if it's just for my entertainment yeah, I know, definitely. Fine, fine. I, I will do it, and then you. I will tell him what, okay? Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generous soul, really. I, I will give you a mm-hmm. selection of things. I'll give you an episode of The Expanse, an episode of C, <sighs> and maybe an episode of Battlestar Galactica. And you can choose. You can choose which one you wish to okay. watch, and then report back. Fine. On. Yeah, deal. <laughs> All right, we, we, we will work okay. this out. Yeah, uh, but this yeah. is nominally the news section, so let's maybe get back to actual news about actual shows that we actually cover. Um, so Wonder Man. So the MCU show Wonder Man, you know, that is coming up. So. Wonder Man is apparently going to have Trevor Slattery in it. Kay, you must be particularly oh, excited yeah. that Trevor Slattery is returning and will be appearing you know in the Wonder what? Man series. All my dreams come true, James. Yeah, I, th- I thought you'd like that. So this is uh, this is Destin Daniel Cretton's doing this this show. Obviously, the director of Shang Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, I don't know a lot about Wonder Man actually as a Marvel character, so you know I don't have a great deal to say about this one. Uh, is he he's played by I'm Ben collecting. Kingsley in the? Ben, it's the Ben Kingsley character from Ben Kingsley plays Trevor Slattery, not Wonder Man, obviously. But uh, yeah, but yes. Trevor Slattery, right? Right. Yes. 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 You didn't I, mention like, that. I'm just saying. I probably should mention that. Sir Ben. Sir Ben Kingsley. Uh, Sir Ben. He he was actually one of my favourite Marvel characters because I think he stole the show in Iron Man Three, which is one of yes. my favourite MCU movies. He yes. wrote by Shane Black, who is a god. However, yes. I did not enjoy his appearance in Shang Chi. I think they fucked the character a little bit. I know that's kind of controversial. Not everyone in the Empire office even agrees with that. But I I didn't like what they did with him. I thought they had him in there. Do you know what? It's amazing, and they wasted him. Do you know what? I, I, I agree with you, James. I agree with oh. you. Ooh. I think you are correct. What? In this, oh, my God. In this hey, instance. note the date yep. and time. Yeah, what the <laughs> yeah. hell? Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I fully felt the same thing about that particular thing. Yes. Oh, I don't. I don't know if Did I you... like this new thing where you agree. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, but just, I'm going to talk about the Sandman now, just to, just to, um, you know, bring it you've, back. You, you've come. You've come to the light. You've come to the light. I've come, no, you've come to the light. No. Oh. But did you see? Did you see? Are, do you? Are you monitoring Neil Gaiman's tweets? Because the Sandman, as we speak now, recording this on Friday, the twenty uh, second of September, has not yet been renewed by Netflix. Right. <gasps> now it may be right. And but Neil Gaiman, in, intriguingly, I think tweeted um a couple of times this week basically saying to people because the sandman had gone out of, had been in the top it'd be the number one on the netflix their own chart you know which they which mm. they tell us what their most popular shows are for that three weeks then it was deposed by the phenomenal echoes which is that show i mentioned the other week about the twins the twins yeah. sharing each other's lives that insane show and and Neil Gaiman basically tweeted to all to his legion of fans that they need to get it back up to number one. They need to rewatch it, watch it now to get it in order to get it renewed. And I thought that was so interesting, like to to to, to draw away the veil and blatantly ask people to fucking watch his show. He said because it's really expensive. It's you know it's a really expensive show. Mm. And to be fair, that is up there on the screen. I would I would I you know I would absolutely admit that. It look, it's a lavish looking show, albeit weirdly with a weird um, aspect ratio. Um, and so he's literally begging people to watch the fucking show. Otherwise, Netflix won't renew it. And I thought that was fascinating. That is fascinating. No, I, mm. you know what? I fair play to him because, I mean, pulling back the curtain, that is true because bear in mind they cancelled that Resident Evil series, didn't they? Which a yeah. lot of people really liked, yeah. but I guess just didn't get the ratings because they are really ruthless over there. And ruthless, Sam, and as, yeah. as Boyd said, is, is a very expensive show and it's also not for everyone. I think suddenly its audience is quite specific, like, you know, me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, everyone needs to watch it. So if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Sandman, and even if you have, go and watch it again for my sake, for Neil Gaiman's sake, for Morpheus's sake. Let's get. I I I would be mortified if that doesn't get a second season. Mm. I love that show so much. You will be. Yeah, I will. It'll be very upsetting. Right? Is there any other news, or should we should we move on from that section? Trying renewed for season four. Very good. One of my favourite shows. Oh, yeah. Plus. Uh, that's all. Uh, I'm sure there is other news out. There's probably something glaring that we've uh, that we've completely forgotten about. But uh, you know, I be honest, I've, I've been off. I've been off the internet, been off the webs. I haven't really been looking at stuff. I've been trying to decompress, just me and my shouty witches, and just you know, uh, and my Leonard Skinner. And, and you know, after 200, I felt I needed a break. So, is the shouty witches? Is that your reference to the, your friends who go and see you at the karaoke? <laughs> yes, that's it. We are, we are the shouty witches. That is the name of the our karaoke troupe. James, James and the shouty witches is a great name for a band. We've got to get that on a mug or something, a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yes. Give me a shouty witches mug. Uh, right. I think let's have some more guests since we have a whole gaggle of them to get through. We have three more guests. In fact, now uh, Moonlight breakout star Javante Rhodes pulls on the gloves as Iron Mike Tyson in Paramount Plus's Mike and not only did we get some time with him for this week's show but also spoke to Russell Hornsby who plays legendary promoter Don King and Laurie Harrier who plays Tyson's wife Robin Givens and Amon Warman went along and spoke to all three of them at once in a kind of four-way pod interview bonanza so you know enjoy we are delighted to be joined on the pilot tv podcast by the stars of Mike Travantevo's Laura Harrier and Russell Hornsby how are you all hey man Doing well, bro. Thank you. Yeah, good. Thank you. Great to have you on. Uh, here to talk about Mike. Uh, congratulations on the show, first and foremost. My first question is to all of you. If you could sit down with the real-life people you played and ask them what they thought about one particular scene, what scene would you ask them about and why? 
Javante, I'm going to start with you. I would just ask him about the boxing scenes just to get his opinion on my style and my, you know, the work. You know what I mean? <laughs> Interesting. Was there any one fight that you studied in particular? Well, the Burbick fight was the big, or the most important, I guess the first one we did. So that was the one that I guess we spent the most time uh, prepping, like a few days. Got it. How about you, Laura? Um, I don't know about one specific scene. I think I would be interested in sort of knowing what, um, like their, their solo moments were like together, what it was like when they were just home alone with no cameras, the two of them. I think that's always, you know, very telling about what's going on in a relationship in between two people. And I would really like to know like what their private conversations were like. Yeah, that's a good one. Their first meeting, especially. Uh, I want to know. Yeah, what, what was that first like. date like for sure <laughs> yeah. with the publicist and the mom on the date? Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested incredible. to know. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Russell? I, I I would ask him what led up to the uh, and what was his life was like around the uh, the beating of uh, of uh, Sam Green. You know what I mean? Beat when he killed him. And just what, you know, what was he, what was he into at the time and how was he into it and how did he get into it? You know, um, because I feel like that would have, yeah, just made me more insight as to how he, and why he became who he became. Uh, Trevante, your performance in this is incredible. Uh, <laughs> say that first off, because it feels like you got a lot of things that you would need to nail in order to play Mike Tyson right from the boxing skills to the voice to the mannerisms, what element of the Mike Tyson persona was the easiest for you to grasp and what was the trickiest? I don't know, bro. It's all like a holistic thing for me. It's not sparse like that whenever I approach a performance. So it was all kind of just, you just felt good. It didn't feel forced. It felt like I was supposed to. So I uh, felt easy and blessed. Okay, interesting. If you were to step inside a heavyweight boxing ring right now, how many rounds do you think you could go? I'd go six. I might be able. I go. I give. I give you a good six. I might. I could probably do a good ten. Wow, you're saying that with confidence, man. I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, but we good. <laughs> good to see that you put in that work, um, Laura. As Mike. Trevante gets to address the camera and break the fourth wall uh, a lot during this show. Having now walked a mile in her shoes, if there was a show somewhere down the line called Robin, starring Laura Harrier, of course, and you got to break the fourth wall, what do you think are some of the things that she might say? I think she would say, this is all bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. I think that she would say a lot of what was told were lies. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I love the way that we were that um, Trevante was able to do that in this show. And we did shoot one scene where um, I did as Robin break the fourth wall and talk to the camera and they didn't end up using that. But I loved the idea of having that cut. And um, it was something along the lines of like none of this really happened. So, yeah, that, that's a fun idea, though. Release the lower cut, I say. I want to see that. I would to be say so too, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Russell, there are some people who are immediately recognizable because of how they look. And I think Don King is one such character. 
I knew who I knew who he was before his name was ever said. Um, obviously, as an actor, you're very well prepared, but but before you go into costuming and, and makeup, but what did it feel like to put on that hairstyle for the first time and step on set? Every strand is a citadel. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, again, that's it's like the joy of putting down the nose, putting the mask on. You know, it's like that that final main ingredient that you have to have in order to bring the character alive, you know? Um, you know, it's like everything kind of works its way. It's like they gave me like the, the fat suit they gave me for the stomach, you know, the hair, the clothing, the jewelry, you know, all of those things sort of tra- helped me to transform him into the peacock, you know, uh, <laughs> of, of, of sorts. And you need that, you know? and you know, but I mean, no, I mean, it's, it is, it's a true transformation. That's a lot of fun. And I think that as an actor for me, you know, it's one thing to be a leading man or just to play, you know, just normal characters, but to play a character and put the nose on, that's a real joy. When you were diving into Don King and prepping for the role, was anything that you found out that you found really interesting that you brought into this portrayal? So you think I, well, you know, what I did was I used the, the, the jazz, I used jazz as a metaphor for finding, for how he, his speech was created, you know, uh, for the, um, for the vocal quality, the, the pitch, and also pattern that after, um, his uh what is it uh just his his manner in in the way in the way he spoke you know mm-hmm. i used uh, jazz as like sort of like a template you know i mean and also what i call it the the sort of a, the carnival uh barker you know that uh everything is very theatrical and very presentational you know uh and also you know they speak to them as being a, a preacher of sorts as well so all of those elements kind of fed into uh, helping me create who, who Don King, who my portrayal of Don King. What was your perception of Mike going into this? And did it change at all as you were making this show? And Trevante, let's start with you. My perception of Mike was one that, I guess I put the more bravado, I guess side of Mike was the perspective that I had mostly because that was what I utilized that energy for. Um, in my life uh, and then throughout the duration of the shoot and I guess the uh, the research and everything, I just developed a, a deeper understanding of my connection to him because of my understanding of his, you know, the little boy inside of him, which was the driving force behind everything, uh, which, you know, uh, I guess always is the case. So just, uh, yeah, doing the research kind of, uh, developed a deeper understanding of my, again, my connections for me. Uh, my final question to all of you, if someone, were, if someone were going to play you one day, what do you think is the hardest part about yourself that someone would have to nail down? That's such a hard question. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Honestly, I feel like that's almost a question for someone who knows you really well. You know, because it's so hard to have that self-reflection of like, what are exactly are my eccentricities that are difficult to pin down because we're not watching ourselves from the outside. But I would hope that they would just 
not be a caricature, I guess, of me. And I think that's any hope that um, when you're playing a real person that you get those nuances and um, eccentricities and and try to be um, sort of non-biased in your portrayal. So I would just hope for that. Uh, yeah, but I think I would add to it like that, you know, I think, uh, I think there, I have a lot more joy and humor in me that I think people know of or have discovered, you know what I mean? I think to Laura's point, like that would be something that my friends who know me well would sort of say like, oh man, Russell's, he's actually funnier than what the public may have seen, may have known about him, you know what I mean? Or had a lot more joy or found more joy in life than what people thought they knew. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with Laura's answer, man. That was a good answer. And, you know, (laughs) honestly, I kind of like being misunderstood. It's, It's easier that way. So, I'm going to just leave it like that. Fair enough. I would watch all of those movies, miniseries, TV shows about yourselves, by the way. So maybe one day down the line, we'll talk again. <laughs> uh, but until that until that time, Javante, Russell, Laura, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Right. That was the rest of our guests for this week's show, which leaves only reviews. And I think where to begin than with The Lord of the Rings the rings of power or the answer to the question of what would happen if J.R.R. Tolkien ever had his appendix out. It's <laughs> a, a really good joke, sir, based on the appendix. Yeah. Anyway, so this is yeah. obviously Amazon's deliriously expensive adaptation of the appendices of J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Uh, it is also, I think, dollar for dollar, the most expensive TV show ever made because then they pay like half a billion just for the rights before they even shot a single frame of it. So, Boydy, I was sitting next to you when we saw this. Mm. So I already know where this is going. It's sort of, it's like, you know, when you're in a car and someone's cut the brakes, you're just hurtling towards a wall. So, <laughs> uh, I have to ask, is this one show to rule them all? It's funny you should say that because um, we watched it in a cinema, didn't we? We watched it in a, in, and I, 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 re- I was reading some reviews, American reviews this week, and a lot, some of the critics mentioned how Prime Video had really had set up lots of screenings for critics in movie theatres and cinemas and screening rooms because they wanted critics to appreciate the grandeur of the mm. show. And it did look spectacular in that screening room. Um, annoyingly, the second episode didn't work, so we only saw one episode, but then I've <laughs> since watched the second episode. Um, so it was a bit of a, it was a slight disaster because I, I, I think it's really important to judge it after seeing two episodes, I would say, because I think the second episode is much better than the first. Um, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I think I think you know the first has to introduce. I mean, it's not even got. I would say even halfway through in, introducing the main. There, I think there are twenty-two characters, major characters. What? Yeah, <laughs> and I would say barely even half of those have popped up in the first couple of episodes so far. Um, and I, I, on the plus side, I was, I, I'll come, I, I'll make it clear what my position is. I'm I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan particularly. Um, I tried to read the books when I was younger and I found them intensely boring. Um, I think that I, I, I enjoyed the films. I enjoyed Peter Jackson's trilogy. Um, I think the Hobbit ones were ludicrously overextended, even more overextended. I thought the films, the, my problem with Tolkien is, and Lord of the Rings is, it's about, it's got a very basic concept of good versus evil. And it's like, you're either good or evil. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. The good people are good. The evil people are evil. There might be a ring that they get that turns them evil, but once they're being turned evil, they're evil. And then, you know, only kind of supernatural things can rescue them from being evil in the end. And it's very, 
it's very reductive in that way and simplistic for my taste. Where you know, I am I'm not going to compare it to um, Game of Thrones and and House of the Dragon all the way through this review. I honest, but I will say that that were one of the great things about I think that the world of Game of Thrones is that it's all about people people power destroying people and power corrupting people and. Certain characters are clearly evil and nasty, but others are kind of not necessarily so, and it deepens your understanding of what turns people into into overambitious psychopaths, etc. I just think it's psychologically it's much more interesting project. This is a more family friendly, um, I would say, quite simplistic um, kind of story with quite simplistic characters, but. On the plus side, I, I found the first episode, I sat there like, kind of slightly, I, I try not to huff and puff, like, you know, make it clear that I wasn't enjoying it. As, like, for example, Terry, Terry White, if you sit next to Terry White and you're watching a film, uh, she will literally sit there with her arms folded, sighing heavily if she doesn't like something. I try not to do that. Yeah, I try not to do that. But I, just the, the dialogue is written in this very portentous, like, faux period speak, which I find quite irritating. They're all going, and lo, behold, I thence took to the forest. You know, it's all a bit like that, which I find annoying. I thought it was quite po-faced and lacking in humour. And I thought it was had a weird kind of shiny sheen to it. Like, even though, it, you know, so there are lots of swooping shots of massive elven realms and cities and this, that, and the other. I just found it a bit, I thought the CGI was a bit, had a bit kind of like, too smooth and you know polished for my liking but i would say this yeah that was just the way my feeling about the visuals but by the end of the first episode and a huge credit has to go particularly to morford clark because she as galatriel as they pronounce it not galatriel galatriel Galatriel. (laughs) (laughs) she is guttural throat sounds they are. They really are. Beloved of you, James, obviously. <laughs> I, I invoke it. the right of Sigin Tarak. Yes. <laughs> that, happens in, that. that happens. Someone says that in episode two. I'm like, what the fuck is Sigin Tarak? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, she is so brilliant that literally, she's, I mean, she's in the very first scene, but she is the character that kept me interested, particularly. And she's so charismatic and interesting and powerful and believable that. I just, uh, uh, that quite rightly, for me, the focus of episode one was on her. They introduced quite a few other characters, but I wasn't that bothered particularly, including one, the mother who kind of runs away with a dude, leaving her kid at home, basically, with no, you know, not worried about him all of a sudden. She just leaves him there. Um, and you introduce some of the kind of hobbity type characters that aren't really hobbits. Well, the Harfoots, the Harfoots, including Lenny Henry's character. And Le- I love Lenny, but the Harfoots were a bit twee, I found. And, and, a kind of Irish flute music going on as soon as they arrived. It's all a bit much. So I found it quite clunky and obvious. But I have to say episode two, which has the whole bit involving, well, I won't spoil it, because even though it's gone out on a prime video, probably the whole world's probably seen it by now. There's a very interesting it. bit. I haven't oh, seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh, in that no. case, fucking hell. He, oh. He's too busy play, uh, like singing karaoke. And right, watching yeah. Southie Witches, yeah. Well, at the end of episode one, this being kind of lands in the middle of where the... Yes. Ho- ho- yes, where the Horfoot are. And also in episode two, there's a whole visit to this lavish realm where the elves, I think, have built this huge kind of like city kind of thing with waterfalls and where they're mining stuff. And it is that visually was absolutely spectacular in the introduction of that world and that realm. 
was brilliantly done. And I thought those characters, Owain Arthur plays Durin, <laughs> Prince of the Dwarven City. The, the city is Khazad-dûm. Is that right? Yes. Am I yes. yes. <laughs> Which, of course, we encounter in Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, right. So yeah. there's a whole si- And he basically is like the Billy Connolly of, you know, the kind of uh, uh, dwarf world. And he's very Scottish, even though Owen Arthur is Welsh, as a Welsh actor. He's incredibly Scottish. And he has an entertaining kind of toing and froing with Elrond, played by Robert Aramio, who's very good as well. Robert Aramio, you'll recognise, he was in Behind Her Eyes. Remember the, the absolutely mm, demented Netflix deranged. show? And he was deranged. And his range, he was so different in that from how he is in, in this is really posh in that he was like some drug addicted lunatic basically um so but i was just much more taken with that storyline and that setting and their dialogue which is funny that, that it's they are genuinely funny and interesting and amusing and him and his wife are brilliant during his wife are fantastic and then by the end there's another whole incident a kind of spectacular fight it's very j.a bayona who's the director from jurassic world is all i'd say about it you can see the jurassic world influence on it and that was very kind of quite scary especially for a, what is a family-friendly show long story short <laughs> i'm droning on by the end of episode two I was hooked. Oh, I, I, I'm I did not expect that. No, not at all. Same here. Because yep. when we came out, like, boy, was not impressed at episode one. Because like, as he said, we went to screening the first two episodes and they had technical problems. We only got to see the first one. At the end of it, Boyd turns to me and he was like, I was like, oh, dear. Oh, dear. You can't blame the show for that, Boyd. It's a technical No, I don't hitch. blame the show for that. No, but it, it, I just didn't think episode one was that great. It, it, you know, it has to introduce a lot of characters. But episode two, it just really settles down. It's just much more compelling and thrilling and funny and all those things. And even visually better, I thought. It's okay. How much of it have you seen? Okay, I've watched one episode. Okay. So before I get into this, I am going to issue a thank you. And I, I struggle to thank you too, because you know, obviously. So I'm going to thank <laughs> the pod instead, because it's, you're forcing me to watch stuff that I would not choose to. Um, and that I have no interest in. And it's also prizing my mind open. So, I mean, that's first of all. Second of all, I have no sort of um, kind of background knowledge of Lord of the Rings other than when I was living in Spain, I watched the first film in Spanish without subtitles. So to say it was challenging, <laughs> to say it was challenging is an understatement, right? Hey, what is um, Casa Doom in Spanish? I'm curious. Oh, I mean, oh. listen, I don't want to get into it. Um it, yeah, so I mean, I understood maybe ooh, sixty five percent of the film, so a lot was lost to me. Anyway, having said all that, I actually thought this was good, and you know, obviously it's suitably ep- epic, lavish. Given the ginormous budget, it's what you would expect, like the swooping scenes and all the dragons and all that lot. Um, and I have to say, for a non fancy lover like me. It wasn't prohibitively geeky or complicated. So what Boyd hated about it, the simplicity of it, actually made it more palatable for me because it it wasn't so off-putting. Because as you say, it's you know it's a very basic story story to follow. You know, sister avenging brother's death, refusing to give up, etc. It's not you know it's kind of like very easy to go along with. So I would say yes. Uh, probably a lot of references were lost on me, and there are a million characters, and I can't even name like the only one I can name because I looked it up to write, you know, to talk about was is it Sadduk, Lenny Henry's character? I don't mm, know. Yeah. That's that's yeah, the only Sadduk, one I can yeah. only the one that I can vaguely remember or <laughs> vaguely say. Um, but I I thought it was enjoyable, and actually, it's made me think, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Maybe I should go back and watch the Lord of the Ring films, or yes, I don't know, just continue. 
I don't know, or continue watching this. I don't know. What's the entry point for this kind of geek stuff? Like, well, yeah, continue watching this for sure. I don't, okay, I don't know fine. if we need to get... Hang yeah, on, hang on. Can we just stop right Is this here? connected? Can Is this like... the con- words? <laughs> what is the entry level for this geek stuff? And I think at this point we should stop and spend the next, I don't know, three to four hours maybe no. exploring that precise <laughs> question. <laughs> no. No, James, no. Um, no, but it, can I ask you, and I could easily look this up, but since we're chatting about it... Um, how is this connected to the f- films? Is it like a what? Yeah, M- many thousands of years before. Oh, fine. So I'll skip the films. Fine. I'll just and carry yet, on with this. And yet, there are a couple of characters who appear in the films, aren't yeah, they? From, from this, Galadriel. And Galadriel. Mm. Yeah, Galadriel's in it. Mm. I mean, how's that? What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, I love uh, the elves. I have to say, the elves were the best bit for me. I, I love the elves and their think- little. Yeah, I think what? you should definitely go and watch the... I'm not going to say watch the extended editions, although they are superior, but I do think you should mm. go and watch the three Lord of the Rings films. I think I think because there will be Ooh. references, textual references, I think that will, will enrich this series for you if you do watch them. Mm. Put aside 27 sure. hours and, you'll, and you can watch the uh, original films. <laughs> TK, yeah. you've taken your first step here into a larger world and I'm incredibly proud of you. Uh, oh, this is God. exciting. I'm going to convert pay into a geek. This is going to be my project. Listen, <laughs> do not make me regret what I've just said. Anyway, that's... That's my feeling. I really like Lenny Henry in, the, in this. I thought he was really good. Yeah, he's, well, he's great. I mean, but this is a true, and this is something that's come up on this pod before. This podcast has made me open my, you know, open my mind just a crack, just a just a slip, just to, just to watch things that I wouldn't it normally doesn't... watch that are on, you know, mm. ITV and uh, and other things. <laughs> you know? So so it has, you know, it, it opens our eyes. I like to think, which is lovely. But yeah, this is good that you're getting into geeky stuff. Like, I mean, it should come as no shock to you that I obviously loved this even from the first episode. Mm. And my only complaint was that it wasn't arcane and dense enough for me. You know, I want all of the ritual of what was it called, boy. What was he invoking the ritual of what? Uh, Sigintalak. Yeah, I want Sigintalak, all the Sigintalak. I want full Talak. Uh, I haven't got to that bit because, as we said, we didn't get the second episode, and I have been on holiday, so I haven't had the chance to watch episode two yet, and I'm really looking forward to it. But the only thing I'll say about this series, uh, which actually you've gone a long way towards making me think is less of an issue. Like, I wondered how accessible this would be because it's quite law-rich, that first episode. is. There's a lot going on and it's like it's the kind of thing I can just make. So Terry's been tweeting about the fact that she's finally watching Game of Thrones. She's watching House of Dragons. She's loving it all. But she 100% will never, no matter what I say, ever watch the Lord of the Rings series. And watching it, I was thinking, this is not for Terry White. Like, this is just not for Terry. She'd be like, for fuck's sake, what's a Talak ritual? You know, she wouldn't have any of it. And 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 I do think because of the nature of what this is, it's quite po-faced. It takes itself very seriously. It's not going to be for everyone because it doesn't have a sense of fun about itself. There's a sense of fun to it. Like the Hobbits or Harfoots, I should say, are quite entertaining characters. But it does, like, you've really got to buy into to the world in a way that, and I sometimes think that something like House of the Dragon or Game of Thrones, those themes, which is like incest, murder, backstabbing, you know, nudity, like these are universal themes. So I think those shows are incest. just naturally. Well, okay, <laughs> maybe not Giving us an insight to your world, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, should I say, an interest in, like, lurid sexual practices, then, is something that people like to watch, whereas not only in Florida. Yeah, maybe only a problem. But I'm saying, you know, the average viewer is probably not thinking, I wonder what happened in the third age of Middle Earth before, you know, the, when Sauron had fallen, before this happened. It's like, no one's actually thinking that. So. 
I do feel like what would be useful is if you are going to watch this and you've never watched any of them before to get a family tree and a dictionary <laughs> of the terms. <laughs> so you know what it all is. And a is. map. Yeah. But look, but Boyd's point is actually really interesting, which is the dualism of this, a sort of Manichaean dualistic model that they sort of use, which is always very binary. It's very good. It's very evil. Which, like, and, but I think that's because this is Tolkien, Tolkienite fantasy and it's very much of its era. And obviously no fantasy mm. would exist without Tolkien, but I think fantasy has become a lot more mature and sophisticated since then. He's very big on his world building and his lore was kind of unparalleled, but I'd say his characterization left a little to be desired. But um but like nowadays, you know, your George R. R. Martin stuff, he is like, look at look at House of the Dragon, like who's a villain, who's a hero? I don't know that either either sort of like hat fits anyone in that show. Like they're all one and the other and this and that. And uh whereas this is is a much more binary thing. Um but I think, you know, high fantasy tended to lean that way like if you read sort of david eddings and robert jordan it's, it is very good versus evil stuff like that's kind of at the heart of these things and there's a purity to that a lot of people love that kind of high fantasy but i can see that just as with terry white the, 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 when i start banging on about the philosophy of high fantasy i immediately need to remember who my audience is i've lost both of you at this point and almost certainly <laughs> well, no, all of the listeners <laughs> more than anything i was thinking up until this point like post uh, karaoke James, there was a real lull in energy, and then suddenly he's come alight talking about yeah. this. Like his his arms yeah. are going everywhere. He's like smiling. Yeah, yeah. I do like to this James. Is, this is your. This is your. Fantasy. Yeah, this is your fancy crack. It's weird. It yeah. is. I do okay, love fine. this shit. Suffice to say, I love this. I was always going to love it. It's great. You should watch it. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, then, which is streaming now. The first two episodes are now available on Prime Video. Next up, we have Mike, the very much unauthorized biography of Mike Tyson, which Ravante Rhodes as the man himself, as you've already heard. Uh, this has a lot of straight-to-camera commentary, a scarily accurate Tyson impression from Rhodes, and a 24-minute tw- episode, which kind of caught me by surprise. This is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Uh, Kate, there is almost certainly a knockout joke here, but I'm just simply going to say, what did you think of this? I was, do you know what, before I watched... I was a bit kind of conflicted because obviously there's been controversy surrounding it in terms of, well, he's obviously a controversial figure, but also he's um, been very vocal about the fact that he was going to do his own project about his life and that, you know, he just feels like, the quote was, Hulu is the streaming equivalent of the slave master. They stole his they stole his story, essentially, which instantly made me feel like, oh, this is wrong, you know, this is wrong and actually he should get a chance to do it and they've sort of to use a sh- really crap boxing punch they've beaten to the punch with it so i was i was kind of like mm, uh actually i don't think that's really good but then you kind of think well actually part of his um being controversial is all the rape charges against him mm. that he served time for and so actually should he profit from telling this story you know which will cover his crimes um and violence to women etc so before i went into it i was kind of like conflicted when i watched it it's really interesting in that, like, you know, it gives, it portrays him, as you say, like Travante Rhodes does a great job um, in his portrayal of him. And it gives an idea of who this man is. So it opens with him giving a talk. I think it's in 2017. And he's like, you know, he's a real raconteur. He's like unpredictable and he's clearly got psychological issues. And he, the question he asked the audience is like, what he's trying to define is, who am I? And then that sets the tone of the whole first episode, which is, you know, what, who is Mike Tyson and what has made him the man he is? And so they do flashbacks um, to his childhood where we see he was severely bullied and um, he like experienced, like witnessed the domestic violence in his household um, and, you know, kind of like 
got induced into like uh, low level criminality and served in prison jail time and everything like that. So that's just the nuts and bolts of the first episode. I have to say, like, I really didn't like the two camera stuff and even the kind of the beginning part, which is all about, you know, the talk he gives and is um, like kind of like a, a very long monologue where he's talking to the audience essentially to us. And then it, during the flashbacks, there's also to camera stuff because I just felt like it wasn't necessary. And I just didn't need it. I wanted it to be more third person. And I know like people, you know, tend to do flashbacks now and that's, you know, it's a device, but I just felt like it was too much, like having that bit at the beginning and then having the two camera bits during the flashbacks. I just, I didn't enjoy that. Um, but I think in terms of like the, it portraying the brutal reality of his upbringing and the effects it had on him, um, and his survival. What was interesting is the fact that when he was growing up, he didn't actually want to box. You know, he would run away from stuff. But actually, you know, through a need for survival, he started to fight. Because I think there was this quote, actually, I wrote it down because I thought it was interesting. Of like, he's kind of fatalistic, said he didn't think he'd make it to 20. So why not go out swinging? I thought it was an interesting insight into his mm. life. Um, but also, I thought it was uh, interesting to see. <laughs> I'm making light of it, but the thing that triggered him, according to this, is um, to start fighting really and have a fight with someone who was picking on him was because of a pigeon. Um, yeah. I never knew <laughs> Tyson's love for pigeons. Who knew? I certainly didn't know. And afterwards, I became a bit obsessed with googling. It. I was like, "What? He he loves pigeons." But apparently, he you know, he, they were his only friends growing up, which again probably gives you an insight into his world and his psychology. And yeah, and so there's a particularly gruesome scene where something happens to one of his favorite pigeons which then like you know he sees red and then that's when it all begins and that's when the descent into violence and criminality and everything kind of stacks up from there i'm not saying the pigeon <laughs> the pigeon really was the uh inciting incident but you know it's obviously the well, I mean, fair enough the show does pretty much i mean yeah. you know i mean obviously yeah, the pigeon great with pigeons not so great with human beings yeah carry yeah. on sorry so anyway but yeah so um yeah i just think it's interesting how much it explores that kind of like the, the psychological effects of the domestic violence and his low self-esteem and like his attitude towards women and the rape, you know, I think it's interesting. It doesn't hold any punches. So from that aspect, but will I watch another episode? I don't think I will. I agree with most of that. I think when you, when you realize that this show is directed by Craig Gillespie and written by Stephen Rogers, who, who, who together made I, Tonya, the Tonya Harding film, which has a very very similar tone to it to this in that in that use that breaking of the fourth wall, the talking to camera, the very hectic higgledy piggledy mosaic kind of way of putting the story together, jumping around in time, all of that. That's all there in Itonia, as is the sl often slightly I would say inappropriately jaunty almost tone of it when it's dealing with quite distressing <laughs> events. Mm. And it's funny, it's, in, it's so interesting that it's in half-hour episodes because, again, that almost adds to that slightly very kind of lightweight or sometimes quality to this um, that maybe it's almost, even though I'm kind of, actually it's more digestible in half-hour episodes, I almost feel it works against the show being taken that seriously. And, and I think that is indicative of some very simplistic, I've used that word again, like particular psychology, like the, the pigeon incident to which you're referring, it's literally like, Ah, suddenly, you know, he was pushed to the edge. He was bullied as a kid. Horrible. But it was the pigeon moment that made him punch back, 
punching this kid, and that was the moment. And, and but that is what you're led to believe by this very straightforward psychological in quotes insight into him, and it kind of carries on from there, really. Um, there's I mean, very we don't know. Maybe it. it was. Maybe you know. Like- well, I mean, it's a good point. We don't know. And I, you, you mentioned. I think what, that's um, the point of it. It's like it's because this well, is not coming from him. Exactly. Well, absolutely. Yeah, completely. And I find it extraordinary, I have to say, that the makers of this show, so he issued his statement damning, saying they stole his story and didn't pay him. The makers kind of issued their own statement saying, Mike gives an unbiased, unauthorized telling of one of the most complex and polarizing figures in cultural history. Based on extensive research of factual accounts, interviews, footage of real life events, the intent is to go beyond the sound bites and tabloid headlines to create a deeper, more nuanced, nuanced look at his complicated life. Not only portraying incredible events, but asking why. Now, I, nuanced this it's not is nuanced. not. No, it's not. No. And I find it incredible that. Like we had, I'm um, thinking about the uh, the um, pilot 200 when um, Sarah Phelps was talking. She's been working recently on a show which is based on truth, and she she worked on. I interviewed her extensively when she did, um, you know, a, a very uh, British scandal, and she talked mm-hmm. about how the the lawyers would not let her have anything that they she couldn't back up factually, you know, because anything that real if you put dialogue in real people's uh, mouths you have to back it up legally like you know they could or would have said that for me this uh, there must be a very different bar legal bar in american tv because this is so speculative about you know things he must have said and did uh, it, it, the difference is extraordinary to me so that's one thing that's just a by the by go on i think that's why i didn't like the to bit to camera pieces because yeah. because he's not but he hasn't created this he hasn't had anything to do no. with it so actually how do they know so it felt like a extra layer that we didn't need yeah they frame it and they frame it around his one man show which makes it feel like he is authored this in some mm. way it's a really weird thing. So literally, the whole framing devices he's doing this, which he did do. So they, they you can watch it. Um, I think Spike Lee directed it. In fact, he did his own one man show, in which he talked through his life. And and I think that is verbatim. The stuff that they show from that, that frames every episode. By the way, is taken from that one man show. So it's a weird conglomeration. It feels a little bit like he has authored it a bit, which I find quite again slightly dodgy and weird for them to do. It's also very reminiscent of Raging Bull because Raging Bull begins, of course, with Jake LaMotta, Robert De Niro in his dressing room kind of him doing his own show as well so it's all it feels very derivative in that sense my the but now there's a but there's one good creative decision that the makers of this show have made which is that episode five and i had to watch up to episode five because i'd read that this happens and i wanted to watch it for myself is all about the rape case of um, where Desiree Washington, where he was convicted of raping Desiree Washington. And that episode is told from her point of view. She's played by uh, Lee Eubanks. And that is, a ver- that is a completely correct creative decision because you, you suddenly, you, he is suddenly removed from the story to some extent. I mean, and, and you see it, you see, she is, you see her as a human being as, and all the stuff that was said about her by his legal team, by people that people demonstrate in his in his favour outside the courtroom. What she went through, not only the actual night events of that night, but also subsequently, and she was accused of, you know, wanting to do it, tell a story for money. She's never taken any money in any interview. She's never written about it. She's never anything at all. She's never been paid for any account at all. And she's still around and she lives a completely, a life completely out of the public eye. And she, and she successfully carried on with her life. 
But that, so that decision, the way they deal with that, the big, the really, the most, obviously the most controversial element of his entire life story is very well done, I think, to give them credit. Mm. Can I ask one thing before we hear what James yes. thinks? Right. Was his lisp as pronounced as... Um... Oh, yeah. Oh, fine. I yeah. think so. See, yeah. Actually, that's, yeah. An, that's an interesting aspect because like, Tyson has a very particular manner about him. And oh, Trevante, yeah. they, they make the decision to really lean into the mannerisms. And Trevante does a very almost caricature performance of who Mike Tyson is. And initially I found it quite jarring because even like the way he has that, that very sort of, you know, the way he moves his hands when he's on stage, he has a very mannered way, an unusual way for a guy that big of moving his sort of hands when he's sort of gesticulating. Um, almost like he's underwater, like it's a really odd sort of thing. And he copies it exactly. And it seems a bit weird, but actually I think it, it, it does ground the show. I think that actually worked well. I thought Toronto Rose is fantastic in this. I really do. I think it was a really, really good performance. Um, but yeah, I think I think kind of, it's funny, so I haven't seen episode five, Boydie. I was really interested in how they cover that because they reference it in the first episode. Obviously it begins with mm. him biting off Evander Holyfield's ear, which, you know, I would say for better or worse, but most certainly for worse, that's maybe one of the most sort of famous scandals around Mike Tyson, not the fact that he's a convicted rapist. Um, and the zero Washington stuff is is an interesting one because you're right. Like if this was an authorized Tyson show, I wouldn't want to watch it. I don't want whitewashing over the fact that you know he was convicted of raping her, uh, and I don't want to see him sort of doing a kind of like almost self-redemption through this series. I like the fact that, you know, mannered or, you know, stylistically odd that it is, I like the fact that this is independent and it's an independent view of who Mike Tyson is. And that may not be, they may not have all the access to everything that happened when he was younger, but what they're not trying to do is trying to redeem him in the public eye. They're trying to show you who he is. And I think, you know, that maybe comes across watching this. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I don't think this will be for everyone because exactly as you say, it's all over the place. It's scattershot. Like the chronology is is wild, and the to camera stuff. I think it works quite well in that it grounds those early episodes when it's young Tyson. It grounds it in the Travante Rhodes performance, which is I think the strongest part of the show. Uh, and I think having that frame narrative and having him constantly appear and narrate and talk to camera and stuff, I think brings that uh, brings Rhodes to the fore, and I think that works quite well. But I I think my main takeaway from this the thing that i enjoyed the most was i just realized i didn't really know anything about mike tyson didn't know anything about his life didn't know anything about his upbringing didn't know about his love for and you know furious vengeance after pigeons like this i, just, <laughs> I, watched it, I like, don't know what is happening but i'm kind of gripped by this so i kind of want to know more about it because i've always seen tyson as quite a distasteful figure uh, and i don't think this is going to change my view of that and weirdly for that alone i think that's you know, that's this show doing something that it should be doing. Like, it should mm. be showing him for what he is, which is a very important person in sports. Uh, you know, a, you know, a, a, I don't want to say like a, a sporting legend, but you know what I mean? Like, he was a fixture oh, he is. of that era. He is. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but he's also not what he's not a person you would want to be a role model, a person you would want to be a hero, oh, God, but no. he's a complex no. individual with a complex backstory. So it's an interesting story. Well, what's interesting, yeah, I, I agree with all of that, but he has become, people forget, I think the one useful thing about this series, well, the main useful purpose is that it's reminding people of what he did, of what he's done, yeah. because he ended yeah. up being this like joke cultural figure. Remember, he's in like, the, you know, the end of, what's it called, those comedy hangover. films, that terrible, the hangover. The hangover. But also, he's in the there's hangover. a Mike Tyson animated TV series. He's literally an yes. arting character for children. It's Have crazy. you ever seen this? And he's just like, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not sure yeah. that's ideally who we want on a kid's cartoon. Just, you know, throwing that out there. But yeah, yeah. no, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's an important thing always to bear in mind. Um, so Mike then, 
Uh, which airs? Where is it airing and when, Boydie? Uh, Disney, no Disney problem. Plus, Disney Plus from Thursday the eighth, which is Disney Plus Day, apparently. Um, lots Disney of new stuff arriving on Disney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a marketing device, but yeah, that's when okay. it arrives. Okay, mm. and only twenty odd minutes, twenty four minutes an episode, so at least you know, yeah. best will enjoy it. Um, anyway, anyway, let's move on to the last show this week, which is American Gigolo, uh, an adaptation of Paul Schrader's nineteen eighty film with the same name. But instead of Richard Gere, we've got John Berntal as a male escort who does fifteen years for a murder he did not commit, only to be released and try to clear his name. So, aside from starting with a lengthy boobs and bums montage, Boyd, did this hit the spot for you? <laughs> Um, well, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when um, I think there was a new, we did a news story about this, um, perhaps when it was, the date was announced or whatever, and I mentioned how, oh, I think it was probably the trailer, that was it, we watched the trailer, mm. and we talked about the trailer, and I mentioned how American Chicolo, the film, is one of my favourite films, so it's, uh, it's, it's, I love that film, and I love Richard Gere in it, I love the whole mood of it, um, I love the weirdly kind of minimalist scripted and dialogue by Paul Schrader. It's an absolute cast iron classic for me. Um, and an, an icon of 80s like culture. It came out in 1980, but almost set the tone for the 80s in so many ways. The song, you know, the theme tune, the Blondie theme tune, every, the Georgie Amarada soundtrack, don't, everything about it. It just works brilliantly. Um, and even though it's dated, I watched it again a few weeks ago, and even though it is spectacularly dated in many ways, <laughs> actually, it's so tight date specific that it still works. So it's like, I often say, the, mo the most dated something is in a way actually ends up being the least dated in a weird kind of way because it is such a thing of its time. Now then, I felt watching the trailer that John Bernthal, how brilliant as he is in everything that he does. I mean, we saw him recently um, in, what was that series called? Um, the, the uh, you know, the, the cop series. Oh, yeah, We Own This City. We own the city. Thank you. Um, you know, we saw him recently in We Own the City. It was fantastic in that as the most horrendous cop in that whole um, show. Um, he's brilliant in all the Marvel stuff, etc. I, I, I had issues with his casting because Richard Gere is such a kind of classically beautiful, I mm -hmm. use that word, man, his face, his whole the way he carries himself. And in, in the film... His character, Julian, is a blank. He's like a kind of, he's like a moral, an amoral um, blank man who has no, like, doesn't give a shit about stuff. He, the whole point of him really is he's shallow, you know, he's style over substance. And he almost, he, he wallows in that and he celebrates that. That's the kind of, the character. And Richard Gere's performance is inscrutable and brilliantly inscrutable. I have to say John Berthold is scrutable. Right? It's a complete it's like a it's just a completely different character. Because is, the yeah. first you see of him in this and the show what the what the slightly difficult thing about the show is it's not a re it's not a reboot or a sequel or a prequel. It's just kind of a remake of the film into a 10-hour miniseries. It kind of tells the same story, but in a much more extended way. So what it does is, right from the start, so he's in prison at the start of this. He's been in prison for 15 years. He woke up, he, his story is he woke up next to a, a woman who'd been brutally killed, and he has no memory of what happened. A bit like The Night Of, that classic um, uh, uh, drama series, The Night Of. And he ends up convicted of that of killing her, but then along comes Rosie O'Donnell as a detective, and she basically tells him he's going to be set free because some psychopath who's on his last legs, who's literally about to die, has confessed to that murder. 
So he's out of jail. And it, then it does the classic thing that we've talked about of all of these shows. It jumps around in time. Loads of flashbacks to his childhood with his absolutely horrendous kind of ad- addicted mother who basically pimps him out even as a kid. And then by the time he's like a teenager, he's she kind of pretty much sells him to this mysterious woman who takes him to LA in this world of these super rich, debauched people running around naked at pool parties. And this kid who's still a teenager has to deal with being thrust into this completely kind of weird world where of of, of paid for sex and sex work and and uh, exploitation, all of that. So there's loads of that of flashback stuff going on. There's also quite a lot of fiddling around with time, even 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 in the present day, or certain kind of situations in the present day, because the love of his life um, is now married with a kid, and there's something going on with the kid and the kid's teacher. I won't go into too much of it to to um, to spoil anything. On the plus side, so this is the showrunner is David Hollander, who did Ray Donovan, which I was quite I quite liked Ray Donovan. Um, you know, yeah, I think it was a good show, and. What they do really well is they capture the woozy, sun-drenched world of LA and this whole kind of amoral work vibe really well. Like visually, it's fantastic. It really ca- and it captures a lot of that kind of pastel feel of the film. They com- they employ the same song. They they use even more Blondie songs in this. Um, it's like so they very much pay tribute to the original. I would say, um, and interestingly, Paul Schrader's credited as creative consultant. Which, well, who knows what that means? My problem is still it's just a different character. It's just not the original character. It's not the it's not the that that man at all. Maybe they felt they couldn't do that because this is all about explaining kind of a bit like the Mike Tyson series. Yeah. How we ended up how do you end up as a sex worker, as a gigolo, as a man who's paid for paid by rich women to have sex with them and to and to accompany them. And 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 I've watched two episodes and I have to say I'm really interested in it. And I think this it's it feels less simplistic and less psychologically straightforward than Mike, for example. I mean, it's a fiction about fictional man, so it's easy for them to make it more three dimensional. But I'm fascinated by the world of it. I think it's it's quite it's quite. There's some sick and twisted stuff going on here. It's very adult. Um, in episode two, the sex stuff gets really. I mean, in episode one, you're right. The the, the opening touch sequence is a montage of shagging, basically. But then it gets down to some quite dodgy happenings. In episode two, is all I'd say. It's no holds barred. But if you're going to do American Gigolo, you have to do it because famously, in the first one, Richard Gere did a full frontal, male full frontal, got his knob out. You know, in in a famous <laughs> shot. Um, we and, in many ways see Richard's gear, and saw Richard's gear, <laughs> and that was a, a legendary moment. So far, John Bernthal was pretty much fully naked quite a lot of time but it's I haven't, we haven't seen his knob yet just for you know just for fans right, of the original not, to I know mean, I'm yeah. just along, with, clear, so along far. with along with fingering being banned from the podcast now knob right. as well okay but so John but should we not talk got- about maybe getting to see John Burntel's Punisher Exactly. Oh God! <laughs> Very good. He's so happy but with that one. Look, he is. He lo- he's loving it. John Bernthal does a really good job physically. He's the part. He is the part. He's not got those classical looks, but he's do. He does this character really well. It's just a different character for me. So once you get over uh, American Gigolo fans, once you get over the fact it's a different person, really, I think there's a lot to enjoy and a lot that's really fascinating about this suit. So once again, like Lord of the Rings, I have no point of reference having not seen the film. <laughs> I like to come into these things very blank. Um, I I really like this, and okay, so everything I'm going to say, I don't, I'm not kind of comparing it to the original, but I actually like. I thought he was really good in that sexy, broody, brooding, like suitably damaged way. I thought occasionally he looked like a young Richard Gere, 
but I don't know, maybe that's because it's in my head now and I'm just like, you know, but I've really felt like um, occasionally at certain angles, he looked like um, a young, I was going to say young dick, but yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, you're going to Ohio, <laughs> mighty. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, okay. So I feel like the thing is, there's a bit of a theme with the shows we've reviewed with the exception of Lord of the Rings, which is like, it's very abuse heavy right this week with the shows we're doing. And I think this felt like a, it felt very layered and nuanced, whereas Mike wasn't. And it felt, almost like a study of abuse. Um, there's different circles of it, you know, like everyone throughout this in some way has been abused. So whether it's like mm. Julian at school um, or by the neighbour or his mum pimping him out, even to the, like when he's in prison, his fellow prison mate, um, to his lo- um, his lover, Michelle Sutton. You know, there's different things going on that we don't want to spoil. But like, I thought it was really fascinating from that point of view, like, and the effects it has. And like, as I said, in a more nuanced way than Mike, you can actually see why this is like, you know, had the effect it has on, on all the characters that have been kind of touched by it. I liked two things that I really thought stood out for me was Rosie O'Donnell as Detective Sunday, because as Boyd said, he was wrongly convicted. She She reveals he's being released but with absolutely no hint of an apology. The way she delivers the mm. news, I thought was spectacular. I mean, I respected her energy in that moment. I thought, <laughs> be more Detective mm. Sunday. Um, and also the other thing of note, I think, is the flashback. So whereas I hated it with um, Mike, I thought it was really smart the way they employed it in that they seamlessly, I'm talking about one flashback in particular where he goes back to the caravan site uh, that yes. he used to, no, what? Where they go back, where he goes back yeah, to see his mum. Where he grew up, yeah. Yeah, that's at the trailer park, right? And he goes back to visit his mum, and like they just blend it seamlessly with yeah. the present, right? So he encounters the neighbour who, you know, kind of groom- abused him. She's older now; he's still living. You know, like I just thought it was so smartly done, and you know, better than, for example, the Mike flashback. So I really liked how they did that, and I thought it, was, it just added to the whole thing of it just being very stylish um, and slickly done. So yeah. I mean, I do go back to the my original thing that I always have is like, why are they doing this if it didn't need to be done? Like, why aren't they just making more original shows rather than re-exploring something that, according to Boyd, and I respect his opinion enormously, was done so well in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, that's a different subject. Well, I think, I mean, it's a good question, though. And I think actually, having been, you know, very cynical about, it's, uh, basically the, the origin of this whole show is Paramount, looking at all of its classic, you know, IP, intellectual property, pre, pre, classic films yeah. and going, what can we make TV series out of? But actually, in the end, no, and I know that is obviously a, low, a, a pretty basic thing, but that is the, the way of the world. I mean, that's literally, you know. But I do feel, watch, having watched this show, I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay. Also, I think, I think there's something to be said for resurrecting things and telling stories for new generations, because in the nicest way, no, no one in their sort of like, no Zoomers are going back to watch American Gigolo because of the year it was made. And they're almost certainly, I mean, some of them will, I'm sure, but, but it's not going to be a massive hit for them. It's not something, a touch point that they're going to go to. And it is an interesting story. And then it's always going to be a TV show because those kind of kind of mid-budget adult dramas don't really exist in cinema anymore. So it's always going to be a TV show because that's the modern method of telling those stories. Uh, and actually this, I think, lends itself to it very well. And it, it has been done very differently, exactly as Boyd said, because I think the casting choice fundamentally changes the texture of this show because Richard Gere is this very sort of pretty... Uh, I, 
character and he he feel you, you feel like his lived in experience is different just by virtue of who he is whereas Berntal has this kind of scrappy almost like and maybe it's just because I've seen me own this city recently but like he's got this like could bring down a wall punisher type thing going on like he's not you know he's got he, I think it's such a masculine energy about him don't yes, you think doesn't he he is the most mm. masculine and and it, mm. I find that found that a really interesting counterpoint to a boy who was essentially sold into sex slavery as a child. Like it made for a really interesting camp because there's a softness, there's a vulnerability and gentleness beneath that incredibly, I will rip your head off energy that he has. Um, and I think Boyd's right in the Gears character was inscrutable and Berntold is very much scrutable. Part of that is because we see so much of how he became who he is. And I think, so there's much more layers to the character. And I found that the most interesting stuff. Like the flashbacks mm. were my favorite parts of this, not even some much the mystery of how he got sent to prison it was like how did he become this thing because obviously you know christ we entertainment is built on stories of women being abused and sold into sexual slavery and prostitution and whatnot but this interesting idea of how this man becomes an escort how he becomes a sex worker against his will and how he's brought into this almost sort of weird subculture where there's a queen and there's an organization and he's brought in and suddenly he's gone from a trailer park to this sort of lavish apartment where there's a pool you know and the guy there says it's better than sucking dicks on santa monica boulevard and it's like yes this is sex work and he hasn't voluntarily gone into it but actually his sort his, his, his sort of uh, standard of living is sort of raised immensely when he goes into this. So you can understand how, as a kid going into this, it's very confusing for him. Uh, and mm. I found all of that and the layers and the texture that I found that absolutely fascinating. So, yeah, I, I'll definitely want to watch more of this, not just to find out what happens because I don't remember anything about the film. Uh, so I genuinely don't remember how this resolves. But, yeah, I think his performance is great. I was captivated by the relationship of it. I thought it was, I thought it was really good stuff. The guy, the guy who plays him as a, is the younger man, Gabriel Labelle, does a brilliant job because he mm. plays him as a teenager. He's tw- he's twenty, the actor, and uh, he looks fucking much younger than that. And that's, does, that's yeah. a genius bit of casting. He's he's going to be the lead in the Steven Spielberg film, basically playing Steven Spielberg, the young Steven Spielberg in the Fablements coming up. So, yeah. he, he, but he's brilliant. Yeah, and I totally agree about Rosie Rosie O'Donnell. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and this is streaming on Paramount Plus. When Boyd? Oh, it's on Saturday. It's on Saturday. The um, 10th. Very rare for a streamer to suddenly unveil a show on a Saturday, I think. But that's when it's on, yeah. Paramount Plus, Saturday the 10th. Paramount Plus, Saturday the 10th. Now, uh, I was going to mention that obviously the fifth season of Cobra Kai is also out this week. I have watched the first episode, uh, but Kay is, you know, her blood sugar levels are just flatlined at the moment. So all I will simply say is it's more of the same. If I'm honest with you, with Cobra Kai, and I think I felt this last season, that last season, fourth season, it kind of really dipped in the middle from a pacing point of view. Redeemed itself with a great finale. But I think last season, the fourth season, I was feeling a little bit like this this has run its course. Like this show has run its course. And I kind of with season five it just remains that to answer the question, have they managed to squeeze a bit more life out of it or are they just flogging it to death at this point? Um, and the jury is still out based on the one episode I've seen. I do think they've lost some of the humour and I don't think the script writing or necessarily the acting sustains itself as a pure drama. I think you need the comedy to make this work. Um, so hopefully they'll recapture a little bit of that. But I'm still going to watch it. Like, I still enjoy Cobra Kai, but I do wonder whether or not this might be outstaying its welcome. I don't know. We'll see. But have you seen any of it? No, I haven't yet. Sorry. No, well, that keeps um, things simple. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, else, what else is out this week? There's quite a lot of other stuff. Sorry, Kate, to, to mention. Um, Talk wedding about season is our welcome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, wedding season is Disney Plus's big UK rom com thriller series thing that starts on Thursday the eighth on this Disney Plus day. Everyone, um, 
Munich Games is a is actually looks pretty good. This kind of it's a it's a spy thriller series um, about what happens between Israeli and Germans following on from Black September in Munich, and it's fascinating. Munich Games that's on Sky Atlantic now on Friday at nine o'clock. Brassic Kay's favorite is Woo-hoo. back. <laughs> Sky Max now on Wednesday at ten o'clock. That's the fourth series, is that right? I think. Yeah, Kay? watch it. It's so, good, yeah. everyone. That's the thing with um, Joe Gilgan that he co-created. That is actually very good. I agree. Terry loves it. I agree with Kay. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Ladhood, which is a really good BBC Three comedy, is back for its third and final season. That's the one with Liam Williams, um, the comedian. He steps back into into his life as a teenager and kind of observes what stupidity he got up to with his mates. That's a good show. Gutsy is on Apple TV Plus on Friday. That's the Chelsea and Hillary Clinton documentary series where they meet gutsy women, including Kim Kardashian. And yeah. Amy Schumer and Megan the Stallion and Goldie Hawn and Kate Hudson. Um, James, oh my God, maybe you want to maybe you want to watch that as a warm up to our first episode uh, screening of the Kardashians. You can watch Gutsy well, start off with Gutsy. I know who Megan the Stallion is now, as of this week, because she was on She Hulk. Oh, I had never heard of her prior uh, yes, to that. She was. But I now know who she is. She was. Yes, amazingly hadn't heard of her. Yeah, she said that being on She-Hulk was... Why she's called Megan the Stallion with two E's. Well, I assume yeah. there's some kind of grammatical reason for that, but I don't fucking understand it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, she, yeah. And finally, Mortar and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, the new series of one of the greatest shows on TV, is back on Friday on BBC Two at nine o'clock. Very good. Right, what is our pick of the week? Oh, mine, without a doubt, is American Gigolo. Same, American Gigolo. It will come as shocks to absolutely no one that mine is called Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the Rings of Power. Uh, but that is it for this James's Holiday Edition of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please do leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice and give us a follow at Pilot TV Pod, as well as at Boyd Hilton and at Kay Ribeiro. And if you do, in fact, want a chance to see my backing dancer-assisted rendition of Sweet Home Alabama, then also follow me on Instagram at James C. Dyer and keep an eye on my stories. Uh, next week, I've not even thought about that because, and I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm on holiday. However, a cursory glance at the listings did turn up one item of note, Boydie, because next week brings us the long-awaited return of Bloom the Fire Fairy in the anticipated second season of Fate the Wink Saga. And you definitely, definitely won't want to miss that. Mm. In the meantime, I have haunted houses to stroll through, including one that's based on the weekend of all things, not the, obviously, end of week, the musical artist. Anyway, so that should be fun. We'll see what happens. If I survive, I'll see you next week. Pilot out. Mm.